The Late Night Alternative with Ian Lee on Talk Radio. We have ways of making you talk. Her Majesty's a pretty nice girl, but she doesn't have a lot to say. Her Majesty's a pretty nice girl, but she changes from day to day. I want to tell her that I love her a lot, but I gotta get a belly full of wine. Her Majesty's a very nice girl. Someday I'm gonna make her mine.
And David Babcock, and I got my willy stuck in the hoover. Do you want me to do it for you, rub it in? 03 74 99 1000. I am far... Shut up! The song's not finished! I am coming to the conclusion that the Talking Heads, I think, are the best band of all time. I think. I think. We just had a little Talking Heads moment outside, Catherine and I, and I don't mean Thora Heard doing Alan Bennett. We had uh, Road to Nowhere. We had... um, Once in a Lifetime. Yes. Song used to terrify me as a kid. Absolutely terrify me. I heard Same it once. I heard it once in my bedroom. A little transistor radio. I asked for a CB, and but my parents bought me a transistor radio, and I, had to be, I was like, "Oh, that's great. It's not what I wanted." Uh, and one night it was dark, and I, it was probably Sunday. It was probably the chart show, and I heard "Once in a Lifetime" playing, and I. I cap my pants. Songs that scared you. Oh three four 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 nine nine one thousand. Get your. Does it sound all right in your ears? Because I'm using slightly different headphones and it doesn't sound all right. It sounds a bit funny. It sounds medium wave. Mm-hmm. It sounds medium wave. Amy, if you flick the medium wave button, there must be a medium wave button. I think you flicked it, Amy. What have you done? I, I don't know. You flick the medium <laughs> wave button, which is how speech radio should be heard. Slightly tinny and slightly compressed. So well done. You've done the. Oh. You've done the right thing. That's good. Um, we got guests aplenty this evening, yeah. so if you want to get your calls in, get them in now or get them in late. 10.30, Chris Warburton, talking about Wake Up to Wake Up. That's what it's called, yeah. Catherine. It's called End of Days. Uh, 11 o'clock, we've got Stephen Tobolowski just talking about life, acting, and Stephen Seagal. <laughs> so if you want to get your calls in, get them in now. 0344-499-1000 is uh, the telephone number. Songs that scared you as a kid. But... Um, I think I think the Talking Heads to give them their full title. Let's um, let's let's be respectful. Let's do that. I think they're the greatest. I, I'm beginning to think they're the greatest band in the world. I do need to reevaluate when they get funky. They did get towards the end. They got funky, and and it's kind of like a weird white New York artsy funk. You know uh, the fu- the funk I can dig. Hey, whoa, I can dig. Do I'm you a soul mean, like New Wave? No. No, oh, I mean, they pro- went proper funky, but there's still a New York white angular vibe to it. I'll have to... I'll, it, 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 I don't know if any... I don't know if Tina Weymouth, um, uh, Chris France, David Byrne, obviously. Well, who's the drummer? Tina Weymouth is the bass player. Chris France... No, it was Chris France. No, Chris France... 
is the guitarist, isn't he? Isn't he? Tina Weymouth is married to the drummer. They were in the Tom Tom Club, of course, which uh, was their, their spin-off group. What was his name? What was his name? Boom, boom, boom. Anyway, if anyone knows the name of the drummer from the Talking Heads, 0344 499 1000 is the telephone number if, uh, if you want to give us a call. It's going to be one of those shows uh, today. Yesterday was World Radio Day. Catherine, what did you do to celebrate it? Uh, got paid to be on the radio. Okay, yeah, me too. Today's Valentine's Day. Uh, I'm getting paid to be on the radio to yeah. celebrate. Um, okay, I've been doing some thinking about this um, terrorist girl, the ISIS uh, baby woman girl. Mm-hmm. been doing some thinking about it, guys, so you don't have to. Um, and I have the answer. Do you want the long answer, the um, short answer, or the short answer with a little explanation? What do you want, Catherine? I would like the short answer with a little explanation. Okay, great. I, I remember, I've done this thinking, guys, I've been thinking about this all day for the last 23 hours, so you don't have to. Because it is a puzzle. Yeah. I have the answer. Here's the short answer with a little bit of explanation. We should allow her to come back into the country because don't forget, when she left, she was a 15-year-old child who'd basically been mentally raped by the sick ideology of ISIS. She was a kid and um, uh, she was mentally abused. So we should let her back, see if we can work with her, see if we can help her in some way or other. If when she comes back, she's still holding on to the ISIS ideology and after six months we haven't been able to change that, we send her back. Because she's saying at the moment she doesn't regret that. Fine, let's, let's, let's get her back over here. Let's have, let's, let's, let's have a conversation. Let's have a dialogue. Can we not have a conversation with us? On Skype? Safe, <laughs> safe, <yeah. laughs> no, you, you can No, no, I think she should come back. She was a 15-year-old kid that was brainwashed and that was, that was brutally um, mind-raped. I don't, that's a phrase that sounds like I'm being flippant. I'm not. She was a kid. Let's, let's, bring, let's bring her back. Let's bring her back. We'll have a little chat with her. Sit down. I'll have a chat with her and we'll work it out from there. So she's been over there for, what, four years? Yep. She's had two babies that died. Uh-huh. And she's got one at the moment. Yeah. She died of, she says, malnutrition. Okay. She's living in a Syrian refugee camp. Yeah. She feels bad that she ran. She yeah. said that the people that stayed are yeah. the heroes. Yeah. Yeah. She saw a head in a bin at the age of 16. Um, um, Catherine, it's sorted. I've sorted. That's the answer. Right. That's the, I've done the thinking for you. Okay, cool. Can I sort one out? A tricky one. Go on. Casta Semenya. Beg your pardon. Casta Semenya. Yes. Good runner. Who's this? This is the runner who, a few years oh. ago at the Olympics, everyone was saying, she looks very manly. I think we should test her. And everyone said, you just back up. Get Women her in come, the Pope chair. Women come in all shapes and sizes. Leave her alone. Ian and Richard stay there. We'll come to you in a second. Yes. Well, it turns out she has been examined now. And yes. although she has always lived as a woman yep. and identifies as a woman. Many people do. And is a woman. Her genetic makeup is male. Oh, wow. She does have testicles, but they haven't descended. They're inside her body. Story of my life. Right. So now they're talking about, and and she is fighting this because she says she shouldn't have to. They're talking about making her have hormone blockers if she wants Mm, to continue to compete against other women. We don't make people do take drugs. Here's what I think. You think this is the Hans Island and Enter the Dragon? None of this. That's an obscure reference, but but accurate. None of this is her doing, right? Mm. None of this is her doing. It's God's fault. Let's send a nuclear missile to heaven and blow up God. Believe in God, she's been made that way. I'm going to blow up God. I think we should stop racing women against women and men against men. Okay. I think we should do, like, uh, muscly ones against muscly ones. Yes. So she could go against, you know, people of a similar build to her 
and the little ones against the little ones. Yep. You should do it like boxing. It's, it's what you weigh and how tall you are. So height and weight. Yeah. You compete against each other. Yeah, because I reckon she I could agree. probably beat most blokes. I agree. Thank you. There's the problem solved. Anyone else has got a, a, a big issue that you, you want solving? We, we, we think about stuff, so you don't have to. By the way, same goes with uh, tennis. Yep. And then we can stop all that nonsense about, oh, the blokes get more because they put more work in. All right, okay. Yeah. Let's have same build, same build. Yeah, okay. I'm in. I'm in. Simple. 0344 499 1000. Amy has texted, uh, the laughing policeman scared the crap out of me as a kid. Amy, please watch your language. I was playing Apex Legends today. I won my first game. Thanks very much. You're welcome. And I was I was doing my thing of doing, pretending I'm an American. I don't know why. Um, and then I was, this, this someone, a younger person started playing. You get randomly paired up with people. And I was going, hey, man, I don't recognise your accent. And I didn't recognise his accent. He didn't, wouldn't have recognised mine as it was made up. turns out he was from Finland. All right. And I know how they speak. Uh, go on. I used to have a friend called Dolotta, and she spoke like that. Exactly. And uh, then he... And I was being... I was, he was obviously a kid, right? Mm. So I was being on my, my bestest behaviour. No bad language. I was just having fun. I was saying it's nice to play. And, you know, we were kind of talking about tactics of the game. So I'm, I'm very I'm very responsible when I'm playing against a kid. Um. And then he dropped an F-bomb. I said, whoa, whoa, man, hey, man, what the heck, where the hell, how old are you, son? And he went, I'm 14. I said, you are not 14, you're 12. And he started giving, and he was 12. Mm -hmm. He was 12. So two issues arose, 12, and he dropped an F-bomb, and I I chastised him. But also, I don't think 12-year-olds should be playing with 46, 45-year-old men. Or vice versa. I don't think, well, no, exactly. I don't think that the system should be set up better to prevent that from happening. You know, um, most most people on video, these video games are responsible people. Right? Of course they are. But there'll be one or two do- dodge pots. It, there are, uh, it, it'll be one or two people, here's a guy who used to love just going on and swearing and effing and jeffing. Mm-hmm. You get paired up with an American, they throw the N-bomb around like there's no tomorrow. I just think, mate, come on PlayStation. Come on PlayStation. Let's let's let's, let's get a system where uh, the 12-year-old kids can't play with 45-year-old men. Let's, let's, let's sort this out. We're just getting through the problems. Ian, Richard, stay there. You're going to be next. This is the Late Night Alternative. Uh, oath. Well, no, I'm not going to give you the number. If you know it, you can call in. If you don't, well, tough. Uh, Ian Lee, Catherine Boyle, Talk Radio. The Late Night Alternative with Ian Lee on Talk Radio. Um, Richard says, Ian and Kath, I remember being scared by a Cure video on the chart show when the dude in the makeup got enveloped. By a big hairy spider. I wasn't talking about videos. I was talking about songs. Was there a part in the song that scared you? Or was it the video? Because if it was the video, you can get that VHS cassette and ram it up your jacksie. If it was the song, well, then that's great. That fits into our phone. But thanks so much for your message. We do appreciate every single one. And I mean that from the bottom of my heart. Oh, um, we've got a complaint. We've got a, a text from Tommy. Uh, hi, Ian and Catherine. Read that joke you do at the start of the show about the boy putting his willy in uh, a hoover. And for anyone who don't doesn't know, that's the this. Boy. I'm David Badcock and I got my willy stuck in a hoover. Um, oh, God, oh, this is awful. Oh, uh, it's not funny because my brother put his in a Dyson today and did quite a lot of internal damage. Um, I've just called the hospital to check how he is. They said he seems to be picking up quite nicely now. OK, well, we're sorry, Tommy, for any offence... That we caused. We didn't mean to cause any offence there. And I was saying best of luck to your to your brother. Um, let's go to Ian. Good evening, Ian. <laughs> yeah. Come on now. Come on. <laughs> so, yeah, someone actually said that in. Well done to them. Well done to them. I like that. That's good. Yes? <laughs> no, I just want to say about talking heads. Um, I've been a, well, I was a fan for a long time. Um, and they were the... When I was like 14... They were, the, they were 
there was uh, Remain in Light, which is probably the best album. And uh, um, I bought it without hearing one track on it, yeah. just because I like the titles of the songs. Yeah, go on. <laughs> well, what 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 are the what are the? By the way, you're you're wrong about it being their best album. Um, I'm not, mate. Please, <laughs> please, please, please. The best album is Little Creatures. But no, but no, no, no. it's any it's album that's any album that's got "And She Was" on there. A song about a girl taking LSD. I'm afraid is is the best album. No, that's not better than Houses. What, what are you, some kind of Ryan Adams fan, huh? You come here to you come here because you want to really you, you, you talk about the talking heads, but really you want to defend Ryan Adams, a sick pervert. Is that what you're here for? Well, yeah, something like that, probably. Okay. Um, I don't I don't know the album. I've got a couple. I've got um, songs about, was it songs about shops and houses? Um, I've Building got, some food. Yeah, that's yeah. it. I've got, uh, I've, uh, by the way, sorry, sorry. Which one of us has been in David Byrne's hotel room? <laughs> I, I'm getting... <laughs> I bet she has. I bet she has. <laughs> Mucky care. Um, who I, ha- I have. Who hasn't? Who hasn't? Yeah, that's true. Fair. Well, have you ever seen him live? No, he's no. good. He's good. I've seen him a couple of times. I saw him once at the Kentish Town Forum, and then once at the Dome in Brighton. He's good. He does a brilliant okay. version of "I Want to Dance with Somebody." <laughs> mm. Really? He it, it does. He it really, really does. It's a great. Um, I want to dance. Is he wearing that suit. Uh, when he does it. Is he wearing the big suit? No, he he's it? not wearing the. Um, he doesn't wear the big suit anymore. I wonder where that big suit is. Um, I'd love to see. Here we go. I mean, this is uh, this is. <laughs> if I remember correctly, the voice is a little ropey on this, but. Sorry, what? Um, oh, I'm sorry, but the phone's breaking up, Ian. What did you say, mate? Sorry? Yeah, I'm on the phone with it. Ian? Ian? Uh, I seem to have lost him. That's a shame. Let's go to Richard, who's maybe a sensible caller. Uh, good evening, Richard. Hello? Hello, Richard. Is that Richard? Right. You're right. Yeah, I'm all right. You're all right. Um, you're, uh, you're all right. I'm all right. We're all right. Let's all get right, on with this. Let's, let's get <laughs> on with this. Where everyone's all right. Let's do it. Let's, let's have a chat. Let's have a chitty chat. It's Conversation Corner Club. What have you got? Chit Chat Club. Uh, Scott, songs of scale. Yeah, go on. Uh, Narayan by Prodigy. Who? Narayan by the Prodigy. The Prodigious? Prodigy. Prodigy. Oh, the Prodigy. You said Prodigy. Narayan. Prodigy. Prodigy. Narayan. I don't know. Narayan. I don't know that one. Can you it's sing a bit? The London album. Could you sing? Um, Namana Rayana. Oh, flipping it. Oh, yeah, that sounds a bit it's demonic. Like, it's a voodoo, uh, voodoo chant. Um, Namana Rayana. Another one, Mr. Coke's Nightmare. 
By the by, the Produla again? No, 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 not the Produla. Uh, I think it's for Hero. Oh, for Hero. Mr. Kirk, you have a surname, Robert. Robert Cook, age 17. Yes, Mr. Cook, you've even come out of the station house. You said he's dead. Dead? How? He died of an overdose. Oh, my. What is he called, Mr. Tug? Mr. Kirk's Nightmare. Mr. Kirk's Nightmare? Yeah. Wow. It's, it's about, a, and it's about a guy dying from, from drugs. Drugs. Yeah, his son dies. 17-year-old kid dies in... Well, you reminded me, actually, even though I was a little bit older, I was scared by... No, 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 I was going to say that. What was that? There's a bit in that. What was that? I was scared by that. In 1969, the average age of the combat Vietnam combat soldier was 19. No, 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 19. All those who remember the war, they won't forget what they've seen. Destruction! Destruction of men in their prime, whose average age was 19. Destruction! And didn't he release like a different mix of it every week, so it stayed at number one for 13 years? I don't know, but me and my sister used to do a little dance to that. Go on. I can't do it, and we used to... The trumpet bit... Let's get Vix on the line, let's get Vix on the line. The trumpet bit was a particular highlight. Hang on a minute. So this guy, this guy, Richard. Yeah, it was the Cure video that scared me. But then, when you hear the song, you remember the video. If you, well, that doesn't count, Richard. You were scared of the video, not the song. Mm. And the, the song may bring back memories of the video, but you're still ultimately being scared of this video. If you must know, I was scared of Peter's theme from Peter and the Wolf that my mum would play on record for me to go to sleep. And Sally said, "I missed it. I've lost it now." Um, that she was locked in. She was locked in the room at the age of six and made to listen to War of the Worlds. What? That's freaky. With the lights off. Um, Richard, thank you for that, mate. Okay, okay. There we go. He's gone. The, um, the prodigy. Well, that's your chance to phone in. Gone for at least the next hour, uh, and hopefully the next ninety minutes. Unlucky, Un- unlucky. We had great calls. Some of the best calls, apart from that Ian guy. Um, but all the other calls. Richard. I mean, Richard's texts were embarrassing. Yeah, yeah. But but that like Richard who called in was good. Yeah. There was not Richard's there. Um, but that's just the way it works sometimes. We're going to have this guest, it's guest, uh, it's guest, uh, it's, it's guest of... Um, We're going to have some guests. Mm, uh, so, yeah, all right, let's do that. Let's, let's, let's chit-chat with guests who are better than you. The, the people we're about to have on are better than you. I'm talking to the listener. They're actually better than us. They are significantly so. Um, they make me want to puke. They're so good. You're better than him. Um, this is The Late Night Alternative with Ian Lee and Catherine Boyle. The Late Night Alternative with Ian Lee on Talk Radio. Oh, you missed some wicked ninja skills. I just remember the, 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 it's Chris France, of course, is the drummer from The Talking Heads. And Jerry Harrison is the guitarist. I just remembered that. And then Catherine was so angry with me just because of something I said. And she jumps to a fence very quickly. That she threw my Neurofen at me, and I she, she threw them. I raised my headphones to put them on their head. The Neurofen bounced off the headphones, went straight into the bin. No, into your bag. Into, straight into the bag is what I'm. Like what I a meant. trick shot it oh, was. Okay. Um, okay, dear listener. Now you know you know us. We like to been on the hunt recently for a new podcast, and I think we found some great ones. At Eleven o'clock. Stephen Tobolowski. Okay, go and Google him. You'll recognise him from so many films. He's been in over he's been in over two hundred movies, which is insane. He does a great podcast, the Topolowski Letters. Files? Files. Files. Um I discovered it at the weekend. I did four of them in a day, and they're like over an hour each, and it's great storytelling. Great, funny, insightful. The band Radiohead is named after him. I know it's nuts. Uh, so so we found some really good podcasts uh, recently. And, and ages and ages ago, and it was a long, long time ago, 
Um, I got an email from Chris Warburton, who's been on the show before, who was talking about the staircase murder. Was it a murder? Yeah. Was it a raptor? It was. It was a murder. Was it a raptor? Yeah, he murdered his. The guy murdered his wife. Not Chris Warburton. As far as I know, he's not been found guilty of any murders. Not been found guilty. Mm. There's the rub. And he sent me an email a while ago saying, "I've got a new podcast out. Um, If you get a chance, have a listen. And if you um, if you like it and you think I could come on the show." then please do. And as I do with all of my important emails, I go, oh, I'll, I'll, I'll have a look at that when I've got a bit more time. Like two months went past. And suddenly, it's one of those um, moments, I, I woke up in bed at like four in the morning going, oh, shit, that email from Chris. Oh, God. And so I listen, and it is such a good uh, uh, podcast. Let, we're going to play a little trailer for it. Wake Up to Waco, I think it's called. No, it's not. What is it? It's called End of Days. He should change the name. Um, it, it is great. It's, it's the story of the 20 odd, 29, I think it is, 20, something like that, um, uh, British people that went over to Waco and got involved in the whole David Koresh thing. Um, you can find it on iTunes, on the BBC iPlayer. I wouldn't bother going to BBC Sounds. It's a car crash of an app. Um, you can get it on Acast, all your usual podcast places, right? And it's well worth listening to, and I know a lot of you have. Let's have a listen to the trailer for the podcast, and then we'll have, a, we'll have a word with Chris about it. So here we go. The wackos of Waco would like you and me. This podcast is the story of a cult. A cult from the middle of nowhere in Waco, Texas, convinced that God's final judgment was coming to the earth. And at its centre, 30 people from Britain. It really was just a cult group outside, out in the country out there. This wasn't Little House on the Prairie all innocent and sweet no the psychological um hold he had on some of those people was extreme you know they were brainwashed pure and simple why don't you learn the everlasting gospel why don't you believe revelation 14 why don't you fear god and give him glory that's the time i begged my daughter to leave the country see for yourself let's leave this place let's send them out of that house right now no the entire compound is just engulfed in flames. I'm thinking, my sister's in there, my aunt is in there. This is their unbelievable story. This is End of Days. And it, 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 it's great. Um, it's, uh, I think it's eight episodes. We're about half an hour, 40 minutes each. And it's, 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 it's an amazing story and it's brilliantly told. And I believe we should have, fingers crossed, I never quite trust Skype. Uh, we've got Chris Warburton on the line now. Evening, Chris. Evening, Ian. I don't trust it either, but <laughs> it's working, right? It's, it's kind of working. Our next guest is, is we're going to speak to from LA. And we kind of toyed with the idea of doing Skype. And we both went, you know what? It ain't going to work. It's, most Skype conversations, the first five <laughs> minutes are, can you can you hear me? Is this... I don't think he can hear me. Uh, Chris, yeah, so well, I... exactly. But, you, know, you know I present on Five Live, and, and I do it on the weekends, yeah. and the amount of times that we have guests and I say, can we please just get them on the phone? Yeah. Because every single damn time... Skype, or I know we're going to use FaceTime for this one. FaceTime, I think oh, no. I'll come off it. <laughs> well, <laughs> this is not the future. I enjoy it, it's not the future. I, I, the let's, is fine. I'm going to enjoy the next 90 seconds of us being able to communicate, and then when, when you disappear, that's the end of that. Hey, listen, man, thank you so much for getting in touch about this because this is this is a podcast that totally uh, uh, um, bypassed me. Some of my listeners pointed out it had been on Radio 5. Uh, five live uh, at some point tell me about the background yeah. to this how do why did that where did you get the story from how did you you, you land on this 
Yeah. Um, so my producer, well, the guy who, who I made this with, the guy called Kieran Tracy, was the producer of it, and he um, it just moved to Manchester. And he was on one of these guided tours of Manchester. And um, they went into the old um, coroner's court of the city. It's kind of deep underground. It was this very sort of old, um, very kind of, uh, you know, very, very strange building, very evocative, I suppose, is the word I was looking for. And uh, just as part of the tour, they said, oh, yeah, and this is where the inquest for the British people who died in Waco uh, took place. And he was like, wow. OK, I, I didn't know there were that many British people. And then he started looking into it and basically found that about 30 British people went out there and 24 of them died out there. So then we started basically trying to put the pieces together as to when that cult first started coming into the UK and then we discovered that actually David Koresh himself had come over here in about 1988-89 to a college in Berkshire in Bracknell which is such a you know Mm. it's so far removed from where this all ended in the prairies of Texas and that's the sort of bit that just thinks how did all of this happen Um, but basically he came over there had a load of bible sessions at this college off campus. Um, and then a bunch of the people who had gone to uh, experience that then went back to their communities, if you like, in London, in Nottingham and in Manchester and word kind of spread. And I suppose the podcast was about us trying to follow that path, really, you know, follow that web as it gradually went out across the UK and then trying to understand what encouraged those people to give up, you know, their pretty normal existence in the UK to decide to head out all the way to Texas. Chris, I was really interested by the the idea that he came to this college and, and then you kind of explain in the podcast that it's a Seventh-day Adventist college. Is that right? Yeah. So, yeah, no, that's right. So these are people, they were regular churchgoers, they were members of families that loved them, but they were members of this church. And I'm guessing the fact that they're kind of primed to await the second coming by the Seventh-day Adventist sort of branch of Protestantism was what led them, perhaps, to be ready for someone like Corish to come along. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I, I think you're spot on. You know, there's definitely, definitely an aspect to that because, you know, having made this, the thing that we get asked all the time is, why did these people suddenly think that this was the man? You know, this was the new Messiah. And I think you're right. I think there's there's something in that church, albeit, you know, there's two million members, something like that worldwide of Seventh-day Adventist Church. So, you know, it's quite a big denomination of Christianity. Uh, yet, I think as part of that church, the kind of um, arrival of a new messiah is quite a big part of it you know the imminent arrival of 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 the second coming if you like and i think you know for a guy who's very charismatic like david koresh who knew the bible inside out who was able to turn around and go hey uh it's me and they were all kind of oh maybe it could be um you know that sort of was quite a big part of it and also he was absolutely schooled in these very, very difficult kind of end of times Mm. parts of the Bible. So, you know, the book of Revelation, the book of Daniel, the stuff that a lot of theologians choose to go nowhere near because Mm. they just say, you know what, it's it's too difficult to decipher. But there he was saying, 
I've got it, guys. Mm. I totally understand this. Um, and what's more, it's all going to be going down in Texas. So why don't you come over? And, and I think that kind of mixture of his personality, along with what he was saying, and along with a message that they wanted to hear, as you're quite rightly saying, Kath, was, was quite intoxicating for a lot of those people. What was interesting... And by the way, dear listener, there will be spoilers, but we're only going to touch the tip of the iceberg because there are so many different stories and, and, and permutations mm, in this podcast. That's right. um, what, what, what interests me is, is, is that these were just normal people. These were, they're not weirdos. They're not, they're not whack jobs. They are, they are normal people who are religious and are looking for yeah. some kind of answer. Because the usual stereotype, you know, we grew up um, kids just post-70s and, and the, the movie and stuff all that happened and it seemed to be in popular culture you know there would always be if you're watching a film it would be someone who was lost and alone in a big city would get sucked into a cult this wasn't the case at all actually these were members of families that really cared about them that's what i just learned more and more and it was people doing quite ordinary professions you know you had teachers in there you had nurses in there okay these were people who led pretty christian lives as we just described there but in a lot of cases um you know the children of of, of a builder who was in manchester who was just going about his business who you know had an absolutely tragic story to tell but the more and more we kind of met a lot of these family members the more we just thought do you know what you know these are just people who are just amongst us all the time who must look back 25 years ago and just think what on earth happened in my life, Chris, you know, they've been living with that ever since. Chris, you know? the story that really got me, and I've forgotten the gentleman's name, but it's the gentleman who's, uh, uh, he's the handyman who lives up in, up in Manchester. Yeah, the builder. Uh, the builder yeah, guy. Sam Henry. That's yes. it. And his daughter is the first yeah. person. His daughter goes out and he's heartbroken and he, he flies out to Waco and he tries to persuade her to come so, back. Oh, and, yeah, you're punching the air, aren't you, at that point? Oh, yeah. He's going to do it. Um, he's going to be great. Uh, and she, she refuses to come back. Yeah. And so he goes <laughs> home to his wife and his other kids. And a, and a short time after that, they tell him, they call him upstairs and say, look, we've packed. We're off to Waco tomorrow. We're moving out there. His, that, I mean, that's incredible. And, and the dignity with which, with which he speaks about just the biggest heartbreak a man could go through. It is the most unbelievable story of the entire thing. And the fact that he did what I guess any parent would do when his daughter decided to head off to Texas, to this commune on the outskirts of this city, of Waco, a place that she wouldn't have known, that he would have had no idea about at all. The fact that he got on a plane and then travelled for hundreds of miles in a Greyhound bus across America to suddenly get there, to get into the commune itself. And he describes in great detail, as you heard in the podcast, the confrontation he has with David Koresh, who is basically trying to get... He's trying to get him to join in as well. Uh, sorry, what were you going to say, Kathy? I was going to say, yeah, he, he, he's tried to assimilate him, and then when he realises he can't, this guy suddenly becomes a troublemaker. And it, it's kind of wonderful to hear because exactly. he's in front of everybody, he's exposing this guy, and you think, yeah, he can see it, he can see what you can't, but, but he's on yes, his own. that's it. And there's that line, when he said he first arrived, it really struck me where he says... Um, I saw this woman staring at me when I arrived at the commune. Yes. And I'm sure she saw a Christian when she looked at me, but I saw a witch. <laughs> uh, and you just think, oh, wow, you know, God, it's so evocative. It really is. And then, like you say, he then leaves. 
can't believe he hasn't been able to persuade his daughter to come back to the UK. He comes home, he has to break the news to his family, and then literally within weeks, they turn around and say, we're heading off there too. Um, and it's kind of like, well, when? And I think it was, well, tomorrow. Mm. And he has had to live with just the most extraordinary loss for all of those years. But he was so welcoming to us. He's moved because he, he came over as part of the Windrush generation, you know, and he's moved back to Jamaica now. And so we had a really long chat with him. Uh, you know, I was in Manchester, he was in Jamaica, and we did one of the interviews that way. And then he was really, really gracious because when it was the 25th anniversary, he was having a special memorial service in a cemetery in Stretford in Manchester. And he basically said, do you and Kieran wow. want to come along? Uh, which was so nice. Cause it was such a, a personal moment yeah. and of great emotion for him and his family. And, and he just basically said, you know, yeah, you come in. It's really important. It's really important for him and so many of the other people we spoke to that people hear this story um, so that they're aware, I suppose, of not how easy, because it's not as if it's something that regularly happening in society, is it? But, the, you know, if if the circumstances are right, people can get attracted into that. Who you were... know? And, and, of course, you know... You... Go on, sorry. No, I was just going to say, the, the couple... Um, there are so many lovely, lovely people in it. The couple that yeah. went to, um, like, a sort of Bible studies... I don't know, weekend, week, or that marathon Bible study session that was held by one yeah. of Koresh's partners... Um, yes. and, and, and people are sleeping on the floor with their kids and yeah, they're all, it's like a big the loo or anything, and, 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 um, and they're kind of, this, this lovely couple and they're sat there going, this, this isn't quite, this isn't quite right. There's something about, and they th- tell me about them. Yeah. George and Dimplets Taylor. Oh, I love Dimplets uh, so much. Yeah. Dimplets was so nice. And she has no idea where, why she's got that name either. <laughs> I just said, I've never heard that name before. She said, I, I was given this name. I don't know why. Uh, there's no good reason for it. I've never heard of anybody else who's called it ever before. Um, but, yeah, they live in Oldham. They welcomed us in. They were just such lovely, nice, gentle people. And like you say, they basically described the fact that they were invited to, as they call it, a kind of Bible session. Um, and it was with David Koresh, his right-hand man. And it was in a semi-detached house in Manchester in a place called Cheatham Hill in the north of the city. And I'm... I'm I'm giving it off like it was all just happening in Manchester, but it wasn't, you know, similar things were happening in Nottingham, some mm. similar things happening in, in London as well. Um, but in this particular instance, like you say, it was standing room only in a living room. Uh, people, you know, sat on the windowsill, seating around the place. They were living there for the best part of a week. Some of these people, they had their families there, they were sleeping there, they were eating there as this guy, Steve Schneider, David Koresh's second in command, basically just bombarded them with David Koresh's message. And there were just parts that Dimplets talked about where she said, I went up to him, I interrupted him at one point, and he was furious. You know, he wasn't a man who was accustomed to being questioned or interrupted at all. And then at one point he said, I've got to go and make a phone call. I've got to go and speak to God. And she realised that he was referring to calling David Koresh, and he was essentially referring to him as God. And the thing is, you know, there was a reasonable percentage of people who were in that room who then chose to head over 
to Waco and she tells the story of her own sister-in-law who was one of those and then she tells us the dramatic story that you might remember as well of her sister-in-law choosing to escape from the commune in Waco oh, God, with yeah. her children in tow and it was like dead of night all in dark clothes uh because they were they were they were scared of the of some of the kind of heavier type of characters who were who are aligning themselves there, across, um, you know? there are so many of these these stories i want to get onto livingstone in a minute because I, he, he is fascinating and yeah. well done for getting him in because that i think is is what yeah. elevates this 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 podcast into something very very special is you've got someone Definitely. who is a big supporter still of koresh um but the, it, it, there, there are some incredibly upsetting bits and some, some you know some horrendous um very honest accounts Particular bits, when the siege happened, and the siege went on for, I don't know, was it like 55 days or something? And it was a complete cock-up from the, um, from the Americans, from the FBI and the, the American firearms. It was a cock-up, and, and they handled it abysmally. But you've got yeah. these, these, these sisters and these fathers and these brothers and these friends who are at home watching their family and their loved one, watching the building that they know their family is in, burn down. And the the again, dignity is the only one I can think of. The dignity with which these people tell, the, I'm getting goosebumps thinking about it. Tell the horrific story of watching this happen on television. That's something really, really special that you you, you got them to share it so honestly. It, it it must have been tense in the room when you you and Kieran are sat there with a microphone and someone is is sharing that stuff with you. Yeah, totally. And it's also one of those ones that when you're doing some of these interviews that we did for hours and hours and hours, because we didn't know how the whole thing would piece together a lot of the time, but you know that you're initially talking about the relationship with their sister or, you know, their their son or daughter or whatever it might be, the relationship. You're, you're trying to get that human side in the interview. And then it kind of moves on to when the cult started coming into their life and then when they made the decision to go over there and you know that the interview is inevitably heading mm. towards them describing probably the worst moment of their entire life and you know it's going to be full of the most horrific memories for them and for a lot of these people they hadn't ever talked on the record wow. before a, a guy called Devon Elliott who works in a school oh, in a village great. outside Nottingham. Such a nice guy. And he was one of the first people we interviewed in the whole thing. And he's never spoken on the record uh, about what happened before. And I could just, you know, you could see it in his eyes. And it was just, you know, I, I felt, I didn't feel guilty because this is the job, right? And he knew we were going to be mm. asking him the questions, but it did feel like we were intruding in such a, a horrendous memory for him. And as you say, because it was 1993, um, I mean, we're so used to the kind of 24 hour nature of the news and all the rest of it now. But I was 16 and I remember that being a story mm. that I was watching on the sofa in my mum's house and thinking, yeah, this is OK. It, it, it was one of the very first stories that really sort of permeated in that kind of 24 hour CNN type of way, you know, and obviously the final outcome of it was so horrific in nature. And the fact that these almost plywood buildings were just consumed by fire in the prairie winds and the fact that they were able to watch the whole thing come to that conclusion and some of the accounts that we had as well um gail mondelli was another one her sister bernadette who she was so close mm -hmm. to the way that she describes hearing the news turning on the television oh, collapsing it's just horrendous but 
you know, I don't want people to think, oh, God, this sounds like way too tough a listen to get into. Because, you know, a lot of the people have said it, it's, it's, a, it's not the easiest listen at times. But the fact is, before you get to that point, you've really got to know those characters. Yeah. You know, you, you've got to know them as people. And actually, you know, it, it, you, you feel for them rather than find it really, really difficult, I think. We mentioned this character Livingstone, as he calls himself now, who was um, within yeah. the compound, was, you know, very, very high up with David Koresh. Koresh sent him out during the siege to go and negotiate with the FBI. And, of course, they just they just put him in the back of a truck and put him in prison. Um, That's it. Tell us about Livingstone, because... I mean, there's the whole thing about him defending Koresh having sex with um, wives and with children in there. There's, yeah. there's, I mean, he is unblinking and unwavering in his support of Koresh, which is incre- even now, which is incredible. Yeah, I mean, he still said David will return, you know. Wow. He will return and it will mark the end of the world. And I, we, we almost had to say, well, actually, David Koresh. And he's like, yeah, it will be David Koresh will return he is absolutely convinced and he now lives in a tower block in nottingham and we had to go through quite a long process to encourage him to actually speak to us and part of the thing is he's been quite used over the years for media to sort of say well what happened you know just on a very kind of basic level what was it like living there then what happened on the day of the raid what happened during the siege blah 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 but he was absolutely adamant that he wanted to get into all of the kind of you know philosophical spiritual underpinning of the whole thing as far as he saw it you know the word according to david koresh and i've got to say you know kieran my producer and i were kind of like oh well that's just gonna be so heavy and 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 un- unpenetrable for the listeners but then when we actually agreed to go and speak to him and i interviewed him for about three and a half hours we actually realized that you kind of needed quite yeah. a lot of that to actually understand how far off in their kind of perception of what was happening they were compared to say for example you know the average punter or the fbi who were trying to negotiate with them you know you're trying to negotiate with people who are thinking in a completely Mm. different way about what's going on there um and so that was interesting but i mean you know it was it was such a that was such a challenging interview because he was quite suspicious of us i think quite a lot as well as to whether we were going to give him a fair crack of the whip and i've never had so many questions that i've asked with the answer being well chris in order to answer that we've got to go back 2000 years and i would just think we don't (laughs) and and you kind of said as much a couple of times i thought what you the way you kind of steered him back onto the topic uh, there were a couple of little nudges very subtle ones and 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 a couple less subtle but it it was necessary wasn't it because as you say otherwise you could have been there for six hours i get the, the feeling that he actually quite liked setting the record straight as he saw it yeah, yeah. And I mean, he's he's had an absolutely extraordinary life because he was actually imprisoned in America for 14 years. He got a 30-year jail sentence for conspiracy to murder a federal agent because of his part in the initial raid at Waco. Uh, he did his time there and then came, can you imagine coming back to the UK and mm-hmm. just sort of, okay, well, that was that. That was that part of my life. Um, it would just be completely bizarre. And, you know, we went to see him in the tower block. There's not an awful lot in his flat. And you've heard that bit that we recorded right at the end. He knew we were recording, but he basically said to me, 
you know, well, it's, I'm not sure you're necessarily going to get this podcast out because there's going to be some big things happening over the next couple of months. And I was saying, well, what you mean, you know, it could be the, the old end of the world. He was like, well, well you know, there's a, there's a chance. And you're kind of like, OK. And that was his parting shot, and then we're off. Maybe he was talking <laughs> about Bre- maybe he was talking about Brexit. I think I think <laughs> he meant Brexit. I think that yeah, uh, could well have been. Um, could well have been. Chris, Actually, that's a very good point. <laughs> uh, Chris, listen, we're out of time. I- I'm so glad you sent me an email. Please send me an email when, with, with the next project that you do, because me and Kat absolutely love the stuff that you do. We, th- we think you're we think you're brilliant. Good. Kieran is good. incredible as well. Let's, let's be honest, Catherine. We all know the producer is the real brains. Yeah. damn straight. In these organisations, oh, yeah, we all know uh, that. We all the, know that. It's um, if you want to find it, dear listener, it. It's uh, End of Days. I've got the title right for the first time. Uh, You can get it on iTunes. You can get it on the BBC iPlayer, wherever you normally get your podcast. Um, There are moments of lightness in there and and human uh, humanity and all of these stuff. We've made it sound very heavy and very dark. There there are some very heavy, very dark moments. But but it is is, is a beautiful story. Beautiful, possibly the wrong word. But there are some very human stories that are beautifully told. Um, well, well, Well done, Chris. Thank you so much, mate. Yeah, nice one. Thanks a lot for having me on. Appreciate it. How's Nicky Campbell, by the way? Has he improved? Yeah, he's. I think he's doing all right now. He's Good. back on Five Live after the kidney stones. Excellent. Yes, that well, was an interesting interview. <laughs> <but he's laughs> right. Hey, nice one, Chris. Thank you very much. Uh, dear listener, this is the Late Night Alternative. Coming up next, we've got Stephen Tobolowski from L.A. I think he's in L.A., somewhere like that. This is the Late Night Alternative on Talk Radio. The Late Night Alternative with Ian Lee on Talk Radio. We have ways of making you talk. Is, um, well, that, that, well, this is the movie version of the song Radiohead from the movie um, True Stories, okay, which is one of my favourite, favourite films. I saw it about 20 years ago and was like, wow, this is like um, Head for the 80s. Um, and it, 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 uh, hallelujah, it's finally, finally been uh, released on a Criterion Collection DVD. It came out earlier this year, like last month, and I got it. And-
it's packed full of extras. The original movie soundtrack is released for the first time. Talking Heads released a True Stories album where it's them doing the, the, the songs from the movie. And it's great. But this is the this is um, John Goodman and the whole cast doing the songs. And what I liked about that film was I had never seen it no. before, but you used it as a test of our friendship. Yes. Now, is she going to like this? Because if yeah. she doesn't, five years out the window. Yeah. Loved it. Yeah. What a I, film. I, and I know a few of you have seen it as a, as a direct result. Anyway, the DVD is packed full of extras, as it should be. No director's commentary, disappointing, but the rest of it is packed full of extras. And I fell down a couple of rabbit holes in the extras. The first one was a gentleman called Spalding... Gray, who plays the mayor in the movie. And I remember seeing it years ago and thinking, this guy is an incredible performer. He's doing these weird things with his hands. Um, and I've kind of fallen down a Spalding Gray rabbit hole. Amazing um, performance artist and actor. Does Did a series of one-man shows. Did a, did a movie with Nick Brumfield, who we love. Um, really tragic life. Uh, committed suicide. I think it was about 10, 15 years ago. Um, so I've kind of been stocking up on books on DVDs. And then um, uh, I saw this um, Tomalowski character kind of popped up as, as one of the, the people uh, involved who uh, supposedly you see, you, see the, uh, you see the movie and it's Stephen Tomalowski written by and he's on there as part of the extras going, yeah. Didn't write the movie, and, and and I kind of was googling him, and he's been in over two hundred movies, and I recognised him, of course, from Groundhog Day, and uh, the weekend I discovered his wonderful podcast, and I was listening to four of those. You listened to about three or four of them as well. I did. I was tidying my wardrobe. I folded everything. It's a good job my kids didn't come in; they would have been folded up and put away too. <laughs> it's such a good podcast. It's so good, and I just on an off chance sent Stephen uh, an email. And Stephen foolishly replied and agreed to come on the show this evening. And uh, we have Stephen on the line now. Good evening, Stephen. Good evening, Ian. <laughs> it's so nice to talk to you, man, honestly. And your voice is so familiar because I've seen you in... I've not seen all 200 movies, let's be honest, but I've seen you in so many movies. I've seen you in the Goldbergs, the, the, the series that's kind of just showing over here. And um, I, 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 I've got to say, man, your podcast, the Tovolowski Letter... Uh, files. Files. I keep calling it letters. Files. What a joy, man. How uh, Was that fun to do? Well, it it's it's still being fun. It was it was kind of an accident the way the whole thing happened. Uh, yeah, this is another story. I guess in <laughs> in two thousand and eight, yeah. I was r- riding a horse on the side of an active volcano in Iceland, <laughs> and we're off, and, <laughs> and we're off, and. And this is absolutely true. This is no exaggeration. Is that I got hit by a gigantic wind off the Atlantic Ocean that lifted me and my horse off the ground, <laughs> carried us several feet, dropped me on the other side of the road, and my horse kind of thought it was like God saying, giddy up. And that horse took off, and I got thrown onto a hardened lava flow somewhere on the other side of the mountain. Ouch. And, and I was. I know. I was going in and out of consciousness, and uh, I ended up breaking my neck in five places, and the middle vertebra was C4, what the pros call it, yes. C4, got crushed. So uh, when I got back to the United States, my doctor told me I had a fatal injury, which wow. was which was which was pretty. Uh, 
shocking. It was it, at, at first I thought it was kind of a terrible misuse of the word fatal because obviously uh, it wasn't. And I was scared. And then I thought, wait a minute. This is kind of inspirational. Oh, come on. What if what the doctor said was true and I really died on the mountain in Iceland? What are some of the stories I have never told my boys ab- about their dad? And so I started writing these stories uh, about first love and first adversaries and uh, Radiohead, et cetera, et cetera, like stories which became the Tobolowsky files yeah. as kind of a way so my kids would know who their dad was. And coincidentally, it'll come as no surprise to any parent listening to this. My children have not listened. <laughs> none of it. None of it. But it became it became a podcast that I guess has gone all over the world now. And of, of these nutty, crazy, but true stories. Um, and it, that's the Tobolowsky files. It is, it, they are beautifully told, the beautifully written. I, I do want to talk about true stories because it was, I was, I, I've devoured yeah. all of the extras on there. And I found, I, yeah. I, I found episode 44 of your podcast, which is the one where you talk about uh, working with David Byrne. And, and, and you, you and your wife wrote the movie, gave him the movie, and then didn't hear anything for a year. Is that right? Well, well, uh, Beth wasn't my wife. She was my girlfriend of 16 years. Okay. And she had just she had just won the Pulitzer Prize for dramatic literature wow. in America for her play Crimes of the Heart. And so Jonathan Demme, who did Stop Making Sense yeah. with David, really wanted to get Beth to write David's movie, True Stories. So Beth met with David, and she called me up and said, I, I have no idea what David is talking about. <laughs> Uh, maybe you should come over and you talk to David. So I went over and talked to David, and I didn't understand quite what David was talking about. But on the wall of his home, which had no furniture in it, on the wall of his home, there were about 200 pencil drawings. And he said, could you turn these drawings into a movie? And I looked at them for about two hours, and I said, David, I'll tell you what, I'll go home. I'll write something, an outline or some sort of, and if you like it, you can hire me to do the movie. If you don't like it, you could keep whatever I write and use it anyway, whatever. So anyway, that night I wrote 35 pages of outline and scenes and character descriptions from true stories that became true stories. David hired me, and then he called up Beth and said, well, if I have Stephen, uh, if I have Stephen working on the structure and the characters, Beth, can you be working on the movie too? So Beth and I wrote the first draft of True Stories in 19 days, which is not a lot of time. No, that <laughs> sounds quite speedy a for, a, for a movie sc- treatment or script, yeah. Right, and we gave it to David, and then, as you have mentioned, we did not hear from David for a year, a year. <laughs> and and then I'm driving through the Hollywood Hills and I hear a knock, knock, knock on my car window. And it's David Byrne on a bicycle beside <laughs> my car. And he, he's, he's gesturing for me to roll down the window. So I roll down the window. He goes, uh, Stephen, uh, sorry, uh, I haven't been back in touch with you. You know, we've been on the road with the talking heads, and I got your script, and we changed, I changed a lot of it. I, I, I changed most everything. But are you going to be home this afternoon? Because there's something I really want you to hear. 
And I said, sure. So I went home and David went and got his guitar and came over. And he said, I really like the story you told me about how when you were young, you had this experience where you heard tones in your head. So I wanted one of the characters in the movie to have that. And he sat there and said, and I wrote this song for them. So he played me in my living room, the song Radiohead. And I went, damn, not only was it a fantastic song, but this event, this kind of psychic event happened to me when I was 19 years old. And this really happened, didn't it, Stephen? You you recount this in the podcast. Kind of you you just found yourself saying stuff and answering questions that were absolutely spot on and, and with stuff that you couldn't have known. It was horrible. It was really? it was one of the worst periods of my. It, it began. We we were on a movement retreat. So I'm 19 years old, and uh, my movement teacher uh, takes us out on a retreat, which sounded really stupid. It it sounded like we were going to be doing the same thing we did in class, but closer to bugs and farther away from good <laughs> toilets. Sounds awful. And so at, at at the end, we're sitting around the fire, and he says, I want everyone to say the first thing that comes into your mind. And my teacher is at 12 o'clock, if you imagine that clock, yeah. and I'm at 6 o'clock. And people around the circle, the, the book Lord of the Rings was out at the time, mm-hmm. so they were going like uh, Frodo, and then the next person <laughs> said like Gandalf, oh, and the next person said Frodo. And then the next person said, well, he just took my word. And my teacher said, don't filter, just say what you want to say. Okay, Frodo. And so it's coming around to me, and I'm hating this exercise. Mm. I have no idea what I'm going to say. And then I hear this sound in my head, like this tone in my head. And the teacher said, Stephen, what would you like to say? And I looked at my teacher, and I said, I, I think your name is not your name. I think you're operating under an assumed identity, and your real initials are either JK or JL. Pause. Then the teacher goes to the next one. Uh, All right, you're up next, Don. He goes, "Uh, Gandalf, and it goes back around the circle. So we're all breaking, and I'm going to my car, and out of the shadows, my teacher comes and says, Stephen, why did you say what you said about me? And I said, I'm sorry, uh, you just said, don't filter, say what you want. He said, because it's true. Oh, my God. I have an assumed name. I came here, I changed my name, and my initials are JK, like you said. So I ask you, how did you know that? And I said, I I have no idea. He said, has anyone ever done psychic experiments with you? (laughs) And I go, no, no. I mean, this is Texas in what, like I'm 19, so it's like the 70s. There's no psychic experiments. So I go over to his house one day, and it was one of the – he asked me to come over to do these psychic experiments. I asked if I could bring Beth, who was a freshman at the time, and I was dead in love with her. And this was kind of our first date. (laughs) I took her over to our teacher's house. We're holding hands over this Japanese prayer stool, and he says, okay, Stephen, now just tell me what you see. Well, I didn't see anything. I heard things. Yeah. So I hear this sound, and I say, I think there's a five-year-old over by your fireplace, and there's a 40-year-old woman on the telephone. And my teacher lets go of my hands, like starts walking around the room in a panic. And I said, what's wrong? What's wrong? 
And he says, I was babysitting my five-year-old nephew. He was over by the fireplace. I told him it wasn't safe. He ran out the front door and was hit by a car. My sister, on her 40th birthday, called on the telephone he pointed to and committed suicide. At this point, I'm starting to cry. And uh, Beth and I, I drive her back to the dorm, and she says, what do you know about me? And and I said, nothing. And she says, well, maybe we should hold hands and you should concentrate. Fantastic. And I'm thinking like, hey, you know, there could be something. <laughs> this is working. Stuff. <laughs> now it's going. So I hold Beth's hands and, and I said, uh, Beth, I don't see anything. And she looked at me, she says, no, no, no. You don't see things. You hear things. Do I make a sound? And I said, yes, Beth, you do. And I said, and she said, what do, what do I make? And for some reason, this came out of my mouth. The, these, this was pretty much word for word. I said, you have three tones in the male range. Male tones are higher than female tones. Your three tones are in harmony. Wow. She said, what does that mean? I said, well, it either means you are sufficient unto yourself or you always get your way. And Beth looked at me and said, we're going to make a fortune. <laughs> <laughs> Let's be partners. Look, I'll go gather people from the theater department together. I'll bring them to you. You hold their hands. You listen to you. Whatever you want to say, we'll charge a quarter each, maybe even a dollar. And then you say this, whatever, this this is great. And we'll put the money in a jar and we'll save it. And I'm thinking like, man, this sounds like a relationship to me. <laughs> and so Beth started bringing people from the theater department over. But it was grim. I would hold people's hands, and I would say things that were awful that I, there was no way I could know. I would say to someone, uh, you've just had a very close death in your family. You're going to get an inheritance right now. There are discussions as to how you're going to invest the money. He was absolutely freaked out. Wow. I'm holding one one girl in my theater department's hand. I go, uh, you're trying to get over the fact that you were sexually abused by your father, uh, it, 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 it haunts you, oh. you, you, you know, and she breaks down into tears, runs. It was not fun. It was, and, and the more I listened and the more I heard these tones, the more tones came into my head. And this, uh, when David Byrne came up, first came over to our house, uh, he wanted to know if we had a swimming pool and because Beth had just won the Pulitzer Prize, oh, yeah. You had a few we quid a going. You were living the fancy yeah. life. The fancy life. We had a swimming pool. And if you go onto YouTube yeah. and see his video of Road to Nowhere, all the water swimming pool underwater scenes were shot at our home. Well played. So while David is shooting Road to Nowhere, uh, we're talking about what he's working on next, and he mentions he wants to do this true stories thing about people that have these incredible events that have happened in their life that are impossible to be true but are true. And that's when Beth said, well, you should talk to my sweetie because he hears tones. And David looked at me and kind of laughed because you hear tones. <laughs> and I go, well, you know, so it, it was a long time ago, and and that was the genesis of the story that David ended up putting in the movie yeah. and wrote the song about. So in a way, David Byrne, bless his heart, 
chronicled the beginning of my relationship with Beth. Isn't that beautiful? And and it's wonderful. It, 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 that part of that part of the story is wonderful. And of course, David's a genius, so I'm very happy he wrote well, the song. Well, of course, of course, for those who don't know, the the band Radiohead got their name from that. So your your you know early romance with Beth continues on throughout their their work. When was um, I've got so many questions. When did the tones stop? Have they stopped? No, no. But but uh, I I quit actively seeking to right. hear tones. But I I I I still hear them. I could still hear them. Now I have no idea how I translate the tones into saying something meaningful. Right. Yeah. But 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 like here is a horrible horrible story. It it was. You know, it seems like, Ian, you just bring the terrible story. I'm so sorry. We're going to go to the light in a minute. I promise, Stephen. We will go to the light. Uh, It was my birthday was coming up, and my wife, Ann, said, I'm going to. Now, Annie and I, we've been married 30 years. She says, "I, I, you know, I have a little birthday thing planned for you. And uh, I said, "Okay." And I hear this thing in my head. I said, I tell you, you know, you're always joking about my ES, you know, the ESP and all this stuff. I said, I'll tell you what, it's it's all just foolishness. I'm going to write on a piece of paper what the birthday is, what the birthday is. And then we'll go and have our birthday party and you'll come back and see what I heard in my head. And you'll know that it's all just a crock. So I got a piece of paper and I wrote, we're going to drive down to downtown Los Angeles to the concert hall and Anne got me permission to play on the grand piano of the stage of Disney Hall. And so anyway, I write that and seal it in an envelope and Anne says, Well, we're going to lunch at a really nice place, so maybe you should dress up in a suit or something no, like that. God. I'm saying, Oh, okay, okay. And, and and she says, the restaurant is kind of downtown, so why don't we just kind of head toward – Oh, you know where we go to the concerts, you know, Disney Hall? You know, if you park in the basement of the concert, the restaurant's right across the street. And I am about to puke. <laughs> do, do you have that word in England? Yeah, we, we have the word puke, to, yes. We I got am it. About, I'm just, like, going absolutely pale. We go up the elevator, and there's the custodian of the concert hall, and he goes, right this way, sir. And they open the doors. There's the grand piano on the center of the stage at Disney Hall. A friend of mine has come from home with all of my music, comes up on stage, and I get to play on the stage of Disney Hall for about an hour and a half. And I'm thinking the whole time, I'm going to get murdered when we get home, it's going to be so bad. Anne came home and she was laughing, and then she opened up the envelope and went absolutely pale. And she was certain that either I had overheard her phone conversations yeah. or had been spying on her computer or something. And I said, "No, baby, no. It just, it just for some reason, that's what I heard, and that's what we had." But but those kind of things happen a lot. It's it's incredible. And here's the thing, you know, I, I, me and Kath, we don't normally tend to believe this stuff. But, 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 when we heard it in your podcast and telling it now, it, it, how can you doubt this? How can you doubt 
this experience. When was let's move away from the from the dark a little bit. When was the last time you saw David Byrne? Have you seen him at all recently? Did you see him when the Criterion were putting the DVD together? No, I didn't. I saw David about three years ago. I want to say maybe two, three years ago with Jeff Bezos. Uh, oh, we we were we were at a kind of conclave in Santa Fe, out kind of around Santa Fe, New Mexico, and everybody was. Pres- you know, Jeff Bezos brought together about fifty different people to present different entertainments for one another. Uh, that were kind of mind blowing, and David was one of the presenters, and he, and I was doing one of my stories for everybody. So I saw David again after that time, and uh, it was it was odd. <laughs> it was odd seeing David after so many years, uh, but it was fun. Yeah. It was fun seeing him, and we ended up having a wonderful talk. This this actually may be the last dark question. Then we're going to take a break, if you don't mind, and then we will come back to light. But 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 as, uh, um, you, again, in the, the the true stories episode of your your podcast, you talk. Um, listen, I'm a I'm a former cocaine addict, right? I'm a, I'm a I'm a junkie. I'm in recovery and all of this, and I've never heard oh. anyone describe the, the what cocaine does in such a beautiful and devastating. Description. You describe it something like it, it, it's energy that you are you've borrowed from your future that you have to pay back with interest, and it's a very selfish act. Um, and I just wondered, I, I just wondered what your relationship with cocaine was. Was it an irregular thing? What did you ever get a problem with cocaine, or, or, or was it just like every oh, now and God. then? If you don't mind me asking. No, I don't mind you asking. But Ian, it just bit me on the ass. Mm. It was. And and it wasn't as bad as some of our friends. You have to remember, this was kind of the 1980s. And back then, it wasn't that cocaine was uh, addictive. It was that it was expensive. Right. That was the rap on cocaine. Uh, nobody ever thought, oh, you're going to get addicted to this stuff. It was like something that made you, you know, flirt with other men's wives. Yeah. That's that's all it was. And And so – I, I would use it for a party. I was in a rock band at the time, and we would do it afterwards to party. And it got to be where I felt I really needed it uh, more than I wanted to need it. Right. And like I said, other friends of mine went, like you were talking before, down the rabbit hole. Other friends of mine, it really destroyed their lives. Mm-hmm. And I I came up with a method of getting myself off of cocaine in which I, I I had someone actually from London read my method and they used it and it, and it helped them wow. uh, un, undo it. And uh, if briefly what my method was, yeah. I said, I wasn't addicted to cocaine. I was addicted to the cash machine that I needed to get the cash to buy the cocaine. Right. So maybe if what I did is I spent the exact same amount of money I was spending on cocaine every week, but I had to spend it on me. I couldn't I couldn't wow. save the world. I, I couldn't do anything. I had to spend it on me. And the first week it was easy. Yeah. You know, the first week I like bought a set of encyclopedias. <laughs> I bought some Cuban cigars. <laughs> I bought like Paradis brandy. Second week, it was not so easy. I, so I'm, I'm buying like some Italian suits. It was, 
and and I have to keep spending this money every week on me of of new stuff and it became exhausting <laughs> spending money on myself yeah. and after 8 weeks I said I can't do it anymore I'm stopping this and I I I realized that for the last 8 weeks I had not done any cocaine and I had lost the physical need for cocaine and i had transformed myself into a narcissistic actor with a closet full of italian suits (laughs) the richest brandies in the world waterford crystal (laughs) it didn't improve my personality but i wasn't addicted to cocaine anymore steven can we go to a quick break and then come back is are you okay to hold on for a minute Yes, sir. Fantastic. Thank you so much indeed. Stephen Tobolowsky we're talking to. Uh, go and download his, um, uh, his podcast, The Tobolowsky Files. Um, and w- 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 I've got so many questions. I want you to join in as well, oh, Kat. Yeah. I know you've got a lot of questions as I well. Um, uh, th- th- we, we, we're going to get the iceberg. The tip of the iceberg is all we're going to get. But what a thrill. <laughs> Thank you, Stephen. This is The Late Night Alternative with Ian Lee and Catherine Boyle on Talk Radio. Uncut after-hours conversation for the up-all-night generation. The Late Night Alternative with Ian Lee on Talk Radio. We'll get you talking. Well, this is a thrill. There are, there are podcasts, there are books that have been written. Stephen's written books as well, and, and of course there is a movie. Stephen, before we go on to the next proper question, I need to ask, Tobolowski, Tobolowski, which is the correct one? Because I've said both, and I, and I was going to stick with one, and I didn't, and I'm sorry. I, I think I think they're both good. I, I went and asked my uncle Nathan, who was the historian of our family, the same question. I because they all pronounce it differently. I said, "Is it Tabalowski, Tabalowski, Tabalowski?" And he said, "You can pronounce it any way you not want because it's not really your name." Oh, blimey! And I went, "What?" <laughs> he says, "Yeah, when grandfather came to America, he came through Galveston, Texas, not Ellis Island." And he didn't speak the English very well, and the the guard who was bringing him into the country didn't speak speak the Yiddishkeit or whatever grandfather was speaking. And so he asked, uh, who are you? And grandfather only know the who, wo, from German, meaning where, not who, who, but where yeah. are you, thinking he was saying, where are you from? And so in his grandfather's way, he said, I'm Abraham from Tobolsk. Oh. And so the guy didn't understand him. Right. And so he said, okay, from now on, you're Abraham Tobolsky. So according to that legend, Incredible. I got my name the same way Don Corleone got his name <laughs> in The Godfather. Incredible. Catherine, you, had, you wanted to ask Stephen something. There's so much we want to ask, but go on. You oh, well, to first ask. of all, I wanted to say thank you for telling us about your mother. No, the podcast, the, the bits about your mum, right? The David Byrne going to your... Uh, family home and being offered an array of drinks several times had me uh, in tux. It was so funny. Oh, well, thank you. Yeah, my mother is uh, magnificent. If if you're listening to the podcast, uh, one of the first podcasts I wanted to do about my mother was, I think, the fourth one, number four, called The Alchemist. And, and here in America, National Public Radio named that podcast as one of the top recorded podcast wow. done so that's a good one to introduce you to my mother because it's pretty hilarious and pretty uh heartbreaking it's pretty great yeah actually, it's just wonderful thank you you paint such beautiful pictures i also wanted to ask you i know you've worked with many greats and, and uh i know ian wants to ask you about steven seagal at some point <laughs> yes 
course I do. But, uh, but I wanted to ask you about Gérard Depardieu because uh, I was a languages student in the mid-90s and Gérard Depardieu seemed to do the impossible, which was kind of crossover. As a man who wasn't a matinee idol and ha- didn't have great English, he crossed over and he became quite famous in America. And I know you worked on a film with him. Yes, uh, My Father the Hero. We did that in the Bahamas, and I did that with my wife, Anne. She played my wife in the movie. And I think it was one of Catherine Heigl's first roles. I think uh, Kathy Heigl was uh, maybe early teens, 11, 12, 13, around in there. She plays the female lead in that. And Gerard, uh, I was a huge fan of his, Mm -hmm. and we... We were shooting at the Ocean Club, I know, in the Bahamas, and I had specifically learned this piece of Mozart that was used as the soundtrack of one of his films. And so in between takes, uh, I went over to the grand piano that was there at the party, and I started playing this Mozart piece. And Gerard came over and said, that sounds so familiar. And I said, Gerard, it's a song from your last movie that came out. He goes, oh, oh, that's wonderful. I uh, We got to be about three in the morning, and I started playing the Moonlight Sonata. Whenever you see a, anything in a movie that takes place at night, you got to figure the actors were up all night. Yeah. So it's about three in the morning. We're on the beach in the Bahamas, moon and stars, and I start playing the Moonlight Sonata uh, just in the background in between shots. And one of the Bahamian men who was – an extra in the movie working as a waiter uh, came up to me and said, that is the most beautiful song I've ever heard. Is there a recording of it? And I said, Oh yeah, there, there are lots of recordings of it. He says, well, I'm getting married next month and I would like this song to be played in my wedding wow. because it's the only song I've ever heard that's as beautiful as my wife. Oh, oh. well played. Ladies and gentlemen, we have a winner. There we go. <laughs> Help me, please. Uh, Gerard on this movie, Gerard Depardieu, I, I always thought he was the greatest actor in the world. His, um, his, uh, we, we had so much fun shooting the movie and, uh, it was such a treat for me to be so close to – really, at that time in my life, I thought he was the greatest actor in film. So to work with him was such a treasure and such – it was one of the great moments for me. Um, Stephen, why acting? How did you get into acting? Because you say you grew up in Texas – um, I can't even imagine that, you know, it, 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 we think of Texas, we think of, you know, big men with big hats and oil and, or, you know, kind of manly pursuits. Not saying acting isn't manly, but the, the, the arts and creativity and performing doesn't kind of strike me as a, a normal Texan endeavour. So how did you get into acting? Oh, this, Ian, this is really a stupid answer. This is This is going to challenge everyone. <laughs> I got into acting because when I was five years old, I thought monsters were real. And I loved monsters. I loved Godzilla, and I loved Dracula and the Wolfman. And I thought if I became an actor, I could hang out with these monsters. Oh, fantastic. And that propelled me through my early years doing plays around, you know, I'm getting ready to work with Godzilla. Hopefully, someday. Mm-hmm. 
And then I got to college and well, in, in, I don't want to jump anything cause it's all pretty grim. And I got sick when I was 13 years old and I couldn't play anymore. I, I couldn't uh, do sports. I couldn't go outside. So I spent a lot of time indoors and for about two years and I began reading plays Yeah, and I began thinking, well, I could act that's indoors. And I became one of the big actors at our high school. And then I went to college and I thought acting was noble. It was the first time that I encountered Shakespeare and Chekhov and Shaw Mm -hmm. and all those great, great writers. And then I came out to Los Angeles and I'm auditioning for butt crack plumber. I'm auditioning (laughs) for, you know, homeless man number two. And I realized it has nothing to do with nobility no. but at that point it was the only thing i knew how to do yeah and i mean can you believe it I, we, we were looking at your imdb and you know there are some years when you've got you've, you've got like 10 movies coming out You're, you've been constantly working you've been in over 200 movies you know some some small movies some huge movies the philadelphia experiment by my one, one of my favorite films um uh, you, yeah. you're still working with things like the goldbergs and stuff like that C- can you believe it can you believe that this incredible career and life that you've had and you are still having and you are still successful in. Yeah, it's it's shocking. Uh, right now, we just finished the third year of One Day at a Time on Netflix, and I don't know if it plays in England. If it does, you got to watch it. It's the most spectacular show. But it's, it's like, here it is. I'm almost 68, I think. Wow. And I have been working on the best projects uh, all together in one chunk I've ever worked on in my life. Uh, one Day at a Time is absolutely brilliant show. It is. Uh, I've just checked it. It's on the UK Netflix, One Day at a Time. So I'm, I'm having some of that this oh, weekend. Well, you gotta, yeah, you got to watch it. you got to watch it. It's absolutely hilarious and heartbreaking, if you could believe both of those things in the same sentence. And it's like an old traditional sitcom. Our executive producer, Norman Lear, like like the original One Day at a Time. Mm. But this really pushes it to the limit. What I tell everybody, we just premiered the third season. What I tell everybody, watch the first show of the first season. And if you don't flip, if you don't go like, wow, I love these people and I love this these stories. I, I mean, maybe it's not for you, but I got to tell you, it is we just got the rare one hundred percent Rotten Tomato rating. No, like thing, like that's yeah, incredible. 100%. Congratulations, that's amazing. Thank you. TV Guide has come out over here and said it's one of the best shows ever produced, and it is. I mean, it's got it, and this is happening now in my life. Yeah, you mentioned the Goldbergs. Goldbergs is is an institution here in America. It's hilarious. Yeah. And it's a great show. I just finished doing two years on Silicon Valley, which I think they're showing in the UK. It's a great series, Silicon Uh, Valley. Yeah, I love it. Hilarious. Uh, All these things are happening to me now later in life. And I I so appreciate it that, that I was able to do kind of iconic things in the past, like Groundhog Day and other things. And now I'm able to work with such great people like on one day at a time and great scripts i mean i mean really it, it's it's amazing I, I i pinch myself all the time you know that there's a tv channel over here that every groundhog day they show the movie groundhog day all day 
all day. It's one of the Sky Channels. You know that count? Yes, I do. It's know. one of the Sky Channels. They show it all 24 hours, Groundhog Day on a loop. Yes. Imagine. And, and I have to remind the listeners here, when Groundhog Day came out, it was not that well-reviewed. It got like three out of four stars. Oh, or three and a half out of five stars. It was like considered very good for for a kind of run of for a typical Bill Murray movie. Yeah. And after the film had been out for like a month uh, at the theaters, I get a call from our producer, Trevor Albert. And he said, Stephen, we may have a hit. (laughs) And I go, really? He says, well, every week the box office keeps going up and it can't be the reviews. So it has to be word of mouth. And, and Ian, one of the, you want to talk about serendipity. Yeah. I think one of the miracles that's made Groundhog Day a classic and an evergreen is that we shot it in Woodstock, Illinois, and it was bitter cold when we shot it. And mm. so everyone in the movie is wearing winter scarves and coats and hats. And so there is no fashion to go out of. You, you know, go. winter clothing stays kind of the same. Yeah. You don't have the shoulder pads. You don't have the weird hairdos. Everybody's all bundled up, and it's so it it looks universal. I feel like I'm treating you like I've got a a, a rock singer on, and I'm just putting a quarter in and just getting you to do your greatest hits every time. But, 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 (laughs) the story that I I heard, and I phoned Kath up and said, Kath, you've got to listen to this episode. It's nuts. And then she phoned me back when she heard it, was when I think you were doing, like, what we call rep over here, like summer stock theatre, and was is the guy called Vince, the the ex marine cook that you oh, have? Vinny, the cook, Vinny, Vinny. Yeah. Can, can we hear that? I mean, that is an incredible story. Oh well, well, we, we had no one could be a cook at this. You have to understand this dinner, this theater. It wasn't a dinner theater. It was like, uh, you know, we we did the classics. We did Oscar Wilde, but we had like. No real audiences. So the manager of the theater managed to hook up our plays with the local prison and also the local insane asylum. So we would do importance of being earnest for prisoners, you know, and they come in rattling their shades. Is is swearing legal on your station? What does it begin with? Uh GDBS. I think we can say that once. Yeah, go on. Okay. So anyway, we we I'm playing Algernon yeah. in the importance of being earnest and not a laugh. Not a single <laughs> laugh, not a sound from the prisoners. You have to understand, this is one of the greatest plays ever crafted. It is one of the funniest plays. Not, not a laugh. The curtain is coming down at the end of Act One, and all I hear is a lone voice coming from the audience. How much longer we have to listen to all this goddamn bullshit? <laughs> and, <laughs> and you have to go back out we again. We have two more acts to do. We have two more acts to do. It was amazing. We. We did Midsummer Night's Dream for the Insane Asylum. And uh, one of the young men in the front row, like when the fairies came out of the forest, I'm playing bottom, pulled his pants down and, and uh, horrified all of us actors on the stage. Uh, 
as he did what he was going to do on the front row. And we're freaking out backstage, and the head of this theater said, Gang, just imagine you're performing for Shakespeare's audience. <laughs> Shakespeare's audience. This is so anyway, you couldn't keep a cook at this place. No. We ended up getting this ex-Marine named Vinny. Yes. Uh, Vinny uh, as the cook. And uh, during Midsummer Night's Dream, I'm, we're, we're all – he was – Vinny was crazy. We're, we're all in there. We all have different jobs to do at the end of cooking, and I see people kind of vanishing during dinner – and uh, the head of the theater comes in to yell at us again. This is the guy who talked about Shakespeare's audience. He goes, Vinny did not poison the onions. <laughs> if anyone says Vinny has poisoned the onions, you could get your hat and coat and get the hell off the place. And I'm thinking like, what, what, what do you mean poison the onions? What are we talking about? Now, I'm looking at my plate. I just had like a whole beef stroganoff with a bunch of creamed onions and i'm thinking like huh you know so it was my job to help wash the dishes yeah. so i go back into the kitchen and there's the big pot of onions and there's a box of rat poison on the shelf open by the onions i'm thinking like so i go talk to our technical director i said tony tony you know i think maybe Vinny did poison the onion and and so we're all getting ready. The audience, uh, if you call it that, starts showing up at the theater, and people start vanishing, and I start hearing people throw up wow. all over the place. All the actors, this, this you have to imagine this sylvan scene, this theater existing in the beautiful mountains of upstate New York, now filled with actors running out into the bushes vomiting. <laughs> so Al Maisel comes back saying, well... In the old tradition of the theater, the, the show must go on. <laughs> he put vomit buckets on each side of the stage. And so he says, just keep doing the play. And if you have to throw up, just work your way over to the vomit bucket, throw up, and keep going with the play. So I start getting terrible stomach cramps as bottom which is a fairly sizable role yeah. right before the play starts and i begin puking i'm sure your audience is at this point so i am doing <laughs> bottom's dream and I, I and i'm looking out at the audience they're still there they're watching us like nothing like this is no strange thing <laughs> like we have this actor on stage who's wandering over to one side of the stage vomiting <laughs> Continues with his speech, wanders over to the other side, and says, "Vomit!" Fucking <laughs> keeps going, and they're still sitting there like it's normal. Now, some of the actors did not make it to the buckets. And the audience stays; they stay for the entire show. They applaud at the end. It was they amazing. applaud. I would hope so. Wow! Oh my Vinny, god. Vinny vanished in the night, yeah. and we have no idea what happened to Vinny uh, as he tried to murder all of us. <laughs> now, that brings us actually very smoothly to the man who refused to murder you. Oh, no, listen, yeah, OK, listen, we'll, 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 we'll have, if you don't mind giving us one more story, Stephen, because I could listen to you all night, but we'll, let's have one more. Um, uh, because okay. I, I've, I've re I read this, and then I saw a video of you talking about this. 
This is incredible. Steven Seagal, who, let's be honest, now in 2019, very thick, dark, <laughs> lustrous hair. It's amazing. He's, I don't know what he's doing, but he's really looked after his hair. Um, you, <laughs> you, 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 very good genes. Um, you were in a movie with him. Um, he was yeah. quite, and he was quite. You had to kind of wait for him to wake up before you could audition or something, didn't you? Right. I I had to audition for him at his house at 10 a.m. And his house, like I live, if you know Los Angeles, I live in the San Fernando Valley. He lived over in Beverly Hills. So it was quite a drive for me. But I got over there uh, in the morning, 10 a.m., knocked on his door. His housekeeper let me in. No Stephen to audition for. And I was told he is still asleep. He slept till 1230. Oh, no. So I waited in his living room. I waited in his living room for two and a half hours before he comes down in his pajamas and said, so, uh, you know, in this movie, you are a serial killer, but I really want to feel the emotion from you. (laughs) I really want you to cry. Are you able to cry? I said, well, I feel like crying right now. <laughs> you know, I could cry for you right So anyway, I, I, I have to shoot my scene with Steven Seagal the first day of shooting. Yeah. And the number of times – now, this is weird, Ian. The number of times in my career I have shot the first scene of a movie – Groundhog Day. Bill Murray and I began shooting that street scene the first – Wow. First crack of dawn of the first day. Same thing with Glimmer Man. So John Gray, our, our director, came up to me in a hurry before we start shooting, and he said, uh, got problems, Stephen. Uh, Stephen Seagal says he doesn't want to kill you in the scene anymore. Uh, he doesn't want to be violent. I go, he doesn't want to be violent. He goes, yeah, the people at Warner Brothers were telling him, Stephen, baby, Bubala, you dance with who brung you. I mean, that's all you do. You dance with who brung you. You know, they don't hire you because you're a great actor. They, You kill people. That's what you do. It's like hiring Bruce Lee and telling him, don't do any kung fu. That's what you do. So they have Stephen Seagal, and he comes in, and he says, you know, I've been thinking. Uh, I think it's bad karma to be killing people in this movie. And and John Gray is standing behind Stephen, gesturing to me like, shut up, Stephen, to me. Don't talk. Don't say anything. And I said, well, Stephen, this is the way I see it. I see that actually you are helping my reincarnational development as a human being. I'm a, I'm a serial killer in this movie. I'm in agony. My soul is in agony. But if you kill me like you're supposed to, you're actually benefiting me and mankind. And he goes, I like that. So we do the scene. I capture a priest. Steven Seagal kills me. He kills me real good. In fact, in, in the movie, they had set up this contraption to where he shoots me several times and my chest explodes and I fall out of frame and Stephen comes up with a smoking gun and looks down at me and we cut out of that scene. So I think we're done. And then about two and a half months later, I get a panic phone call from John Gray, the director. And he said, Stephen, we have a problem. Stephen Seagal has been ad-libbing in the rest of the movie (laughs) saying, thank God I didn't kill that guy in the church. (laughs) 
they said, anyway, you could come in and add some lines to the scene to indicate that you're not dead. I go, well, well sure. So I go over to see ADR, which, which is film talk, but that's when you add voice to a film that's already been shot. You, you take out swear words if you're doing Deadwood or what you, yeah. you do all sorts of things. So I'm looking at this shot. I'm, I'm there um, with Keenan Ivory Wayans. He's, he's watching too. And Steven shoots me. My chest explodes. I fall out of frame, blood flying everywhere. And John Gray says, now is when we want you to say something. <laughs> and I go, now? And, and Keenan Ivory Wayans just kind of looks at me, shakes his head. He goes, man, now we are in the area of high comedy. And he walks out. And I'm thinking like, I go, well, John, there's not much I could say. I mean, my chest has exploded. There's blood everywhere. You know, I, I, so he says, well, just try some things. So I fall out of frame after this brutal shooting. I go like, oh, you know, you just nicked me. Or, uh, you know, it's, it's just a, a flesh wound. wound. <laughs> I, I, I think I ended up saying, finish me, you bastard. <laughs> like that. What, what? They ended up cutting out the shot of my chest exploding, and then they had some shot of some guy wearing my costume just being shot very neatly, falling out of frame. They they just kind of re-edited it. And, uh, yeah, so that, that was my experience with Steven Seagal. He, he was, uh, you know, he's the man that only Putin loves. <laughs> Stephen, you know. uh, listen, brother, thank you. Thank you so much. You, you, you have an open invitation. You, you come on whenever you want. You have, to, you have to come over here and do, like, a, a one-man show as well. Come to the U.K. We'll sort it out. We'll get a theatre. We'll get you an audience. Come and do a one-man show here, Stephen. Hey, it's a deal. It's a deal. I got friends over there, too. I'd love to come over and see them and say hello. That's a deal. Let's make I'll, it happen. I'll give you guys a call from time to time. Oh, so, listen, you've got my email. You are you you are welcome whenever you want. Um, listen, uh, the, One Day at a Time is the, the show. The season three is – I've checked. It's all on uh, Netflix in the U.K., the Tobolowski Files is the podcast. Very quickly, are you doing any more of those, or is is, is that finished now, Stephen? No, no, no. I I was just telling uh, uh, David Ferrier from New Zealand. I've just finished seven more. Oh, great! Uh, David Chin, who's my uh, producer, he's working for Jeff Bezos now. He's, oh, he's really busy. So what I, I, I do is yeah, I write and record the podcast. Mm-hmm. And then I give it to David, and then we finish them up together. So I'm going to try to get ten oh, together fantastic. and release those ten. Um, Stephen, it's, it's such a thrill. We've been so excited you coming on, and um, you 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 did not disappoint, sir. You are a, a, such a great storyteller. Oh, you made me laugh so much. You thank really you. made us laugh. Thank you so much, Stephen. Well, thank you guys, and much love to all you folks on that side of the pond. Lovely, Stephen Tobolowski. Do you want to go and say goodbye oh, yeah. to him properly? Um, I mean, fanta- I cannot recommend <coughs> excuse me, the Tobolowski Files enough. Such a great podcast. My voice is going. <coughs> I've been laughing too much and it's done my throat and we're late for the news. Who cares? This is The Late Night Alternative with Ian and Kath on Talk Radio. The Late Night Alternative with Ian Lee on Talk Radio. We have ways of making you talk.
344 It's Marnie Coppola who has a new album coming out soon, which I've heard and is incredible. And I'm not just saying that because I adore her. I think it's probably her best album ever. It's amazing. It's amazing. You've heard a couple of the songs. Yeah. It's incredible. Uh, that song is previously unreleased. You can only get that at the digital download of the song that, of the album that my record label released, Unsung. So if you go to iTunes, Unsung and Marnie Coppola, there's five previously unreleased tracks. I just feel we need to relax a little bit after Stephen Tobolowski there. Oh, gosh. Wasn't he we wonderful? so much. Oh, it was funny. And some of those stories we'd heard before because of the podcast, yeah. which, by the way, you've got to subscribe to. What a great podcast that is. Just a storyteller. What I tell you was great is there's like 80 episodes. I've heard five of them. So I've got 75, over 75 hours worth of, of what I know is going to be brilliant. And he's got another 10 episodes coming out. Oh, thank you, sir. My um, thigh is burning, and I'll tell you why. Because I've got some Olbus oil on my handkerchief, and I've put it in my pocket. It's been there all day, and it's seeping through to my thigh, and my thigh is now feeling... Live! Decongested. Live! <laughs> Energised! <laughs> Energised! I've heard of putting Vicks on your feet, but never Olbus oil on your thighs. Olbus oil on your ding-dong. Um, imagine putting Vicks on your ding-dong or your Lady Putang. It Don't. Would, no, do not. That happened to my it cousin. Kills, kill, killed her, didn't it? No, it didn't kill her. She was oh. a baby. Oh, do you remember when what? we? Well, yeah, when we were kids, do you remember that your mum used to put, probably, used to put, we used to have this massive tub of Vaseline. Yes, yes, yes. So we, people we had that, that had babies had massive tubs of Vaseline. You yeah. put Vaseline on the bums as a kind of, you know, stops them getting nappy rash and stuff. Well, well my auntie 
who wasn't the mother of the child, my el- oldest cousin, um, and not used to changing babies' bums, got a massive wadge of what she thought was Vaseline and whacked it on the baby's bum, and it was fixed. Oh, yay, yay. Kid went through the roof. Oh! <laughs> oh, oh! Yeah, she's a bit older than me. I think it stopped smarting about hey, two years ago. Hi, Chihuahua, guys. Hello, dear listener. This is the Late Night Alternative. I'm Ian Lee. Who are you? Catherine Boyle. Uh, it's a late night phone-in show, like they used to be in the old days, in the it's hit and miss... But the hits are incredible. And do you know what? The misses are worth listening to as well. Because they can be they can be car crashes. And you don't get car crashes on radio yeah. anymore. You don't get people doing stuff that might not work. Everything is very neatly planned out and it's very safe. And there's a posse. You've got a posse in and everyone's laughing at the host and all of that stuff. Very few shows where you've got a chance for actually it could go, it could be boring. It could be awful. It could go badly wrong. It could you know, be gags that fall flat on their ass and actually reveal... It, it, that could happen. So... As it does in real life. Exactly. So if you want to give us a call, 0344 You've got Amy answering the phones tonight. She will answer the call, take your name and number. Cost you pennies, right? Probably free for most of you. Cost you pennies. But here's the, here's the rub. Um, she then calls you straight back. And then you come on the air. We don't ask you what you want to talk about. We don't audition you. There's no interrogation process. Everyone is welcome to come on and talk about whatever they want. And 12 minutes past 12 on a Thursday night, Friday morning. I mean, that's kind of a... That's a very peculiar cosmic time, I think. So if there's anything that's on your mind, anything you want to get off your chest, now would be a great time... To um, to give us a call, I can't. I'm going to be honest. I can't stop thinking about Stephen. I've got a man crush on him. Mm-hmm. That was it was. I knew it was going to be good. It was even better. What generous man as well. I sent him an email. Would you? You don't suppose you fancy coming on our show? Sure. What? When and what time? Um, Thursday. Okay, I'll, I'll be on at eleven your time. Great, thanks. Thing is, though, generous. The end of every single one of his podcasts, he gives out his email address and encourages you to yeah. get in touch with yeah. him, yeah. and he means it. Yeah. Um. I have got rid of my email address, my public email address. For now, who knows what's going to happen at some point in the future. But for now, the public email address has gone. The contact me form on ianlee.com has gone. Um, my private email address, I'm, I'm, I'm in the process of closing down. It's tricky because I can't remember who I've got. Um, you know, but I'm closing that down. got a new private email address, Catherine. And if you're lucky, I may give it to you. And... Um, you're lucky I may respond. Uh-huh. I'm off Twitter in as much as my at Ian Lee is, is gone for now. Again, these things might change. Gone for now. And the 7A, the record label one uh, that I do, I'm sharing that with Glenn, my mate, my business partner, Glenn. So we're both kind of doing it. Um, Twitter has been deleted off my phone. It's beautiful. Feels 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 very blissful. And I've been I've been doing a couple of periscopes recently. So if you want to follow me on there, you can because I don't have Twitter. It won't flash up in your Twitter feed that I'm doing it. Did a pod, uh, periscope last night. Periscope today. Just just trying to check in with the universe and uh, try and get a little bit creative. Again, try and get a little bit creative. So that'd be mine to do and make some cool things. And we have got some cool things happening. We've got lots of live shows. Manchester um, is almost sold out. Uh, Brighton has almost sold out. Um, Luton has almost sold out. Um, and the Shaftesbury Fringe, those ones are up for up now. If you want to see get tickets for those shows, 
ianlee.com slash event. Got to sort out Glasgow. The date is booked. I just need to set the ticket thing up. Um, Belfast, we, we have a date. They're, they're, they're kind of not great at getting back. But we have a date. When did I say it was? I it was July, Belfast? June or July. July is definitely Glasgow. Anyway, June or July. I just need, they're setting, they're setting the tickets. So these things, these things are happening. And um, I need to chase up. Joe McGrath for the Magic Christian screening. Yeah, because the next Rabbit Hole Picture Show is sold out. Sold out, out ages Thanks ago. mostly to Brossette. Yeah, sold out. A load of people coming who aren't our crowd. Boy, yeah. they're in for a shock. They are. They're in for a shock. Um, so, yes, so that's uh, kind of an update on the old uh, news. Let us say hello to Rainbow George and hello to Ken. Hooray! Hello. <laughs> hello there. Good morning, Ian and Catherine, and uh, Rainbow George. <laughs> good morning, gentlemen. Good evening, good morning, good afternoon, good night. What have you guys got for us tonight in your mystical plate? Of well, that, that, that was really lo- lovely with Stephen. That, that, he was that good, was, wasn't he? Yeah, that, that was excellent and, and thought-provoking. I, I, I wanted you to ask him when, when he was receiving uh, information about people... Did did he ever communicate with whoever was sending him that that information? Uh, well, we didn't ask him that, and that's one of those things we'll have to uh, ponder. I, I I kind of got the feeling that it. Well, he said that it was when he was initially exploiting that, and I use the word exploiting in its true true meaning. When he was initially exploiting that skill, it was one of the worst periods of his life. Yes, but he was receiving information, so, yes. so yes. I, I just wonder if he ever tried to communicate with whoever was sending him that information. Well, do, do, do any of his podcasts go? go I don't know. I've listened, I've listened to four. There are 80 so far. Here's an idea. Why don't you email him? No, don't, 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 don't. He don't, encourages no, it. Don't, don't, don't. Email him. Don't, don't. I, I, I don't think so. Why not? OK, well, you do what you got to do. I just don't think that's a great thing to put these two in touch. Anyway, <laughs> Ken, what would you like to say? Yes, I was very interested in your uh, earlier discussion about the, the horrible wacko deaths and yes. the, when they followed the, the, the David Koresh cult. Yes. This is an extreme, I remember that. I think we lived in Canada at the time. What year was that? Was it 93? 93, I think, that it, where it all kicked off, so to speak. 93. Horrendous, yeah. Right? yeah. A lot of people died. However, the, the thing about that was, uh, although it was a horrible cult, there was relatively only a few people were fooled by this Koresh and his teachings. Well, in terms of the, in terms of the, the, the then I guess five and a half, six billion people in the world, yes. But I think about 120 people burnt to death, so significant number of loss of life. Oh, and also, there are still people in Waco who believe he's coming back and who are still revering. Can Koresh. you believe that, Ken? That yeah. there are nut jobs who think a dead guy's coming back. Say that again. You... Can you believe what? that there are nut jobs who think a dead guy's coming back? Oh, I, 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 there are many, many nut jobs, as you see, around the world. However, uh, there is a coming false messiah who will deceive almost the whole world. This is uh, not. Is that Jeremy Clarkson? No. Boris Johnson. It's going to be the Antichrist. He is going to arise out of the new. 
a European state of 10 kingdoms. The present uh, 27 state Europe will collapse in the future and be revived into 10 kingdoms. Right. And this Antichrist will come out of the 10 kingdoms and he will deceive the whole world and especially the nation of Israel. George, what do you if reckon? I reckon Ken really doesn't know what he's talking about. And School him. Sorry? School him. <laughs> well, I'm saying the, the, the whole Jesus story is, is a mythical story that has deeper meaning to it. And, and uh, the Jesus you, you believe in, Ken, he, he was supposed to come back when, when the generation he was speaking to, to no, was, no, was still no, alive. No, no, that's not so, George. Jesus said that the generation that, that is alive, when the prophecies he speaks about takes place, they will see all things happen. And when the people see the return of the, the revelation of the Messiah, that generation will see the return of Jesus. So we have to rightly divide the scriptures, George. However, this man is going to be worshipped throughout the world. He's called the man of sin. He is the Antichrist. And he is going to enter the world into a new world economic order. The world is going to be forced to take a mark. Imagine, imagine. I can't begin to imagine what it feels like to be so full of fear uh, and trepidation of the future and so worried about some ghost stories. I mean, I just can't imagine. Well, you, well I know because you got you got no, Jesus, Jesus of no, protection, and all of that. But I just can't. I can't begin to. <laughs> let me finish. I just can't. I've let you spout your nonsense. I just can't begin to imagine what it feels like to be so worried about this stuff that may or may not happen. To to to, to have your life governed by. It. Just get on with your life. Why not just get on with your life? Ian, I am full of joy. I'm not full of... No, you're not. You're full of bitterness and spite and hatred and and selfishness. You're very narcissistic. I'm full of joy, not depression. No, you're not. You're full of... There you go. You had to do a little... You had to do a little dig, didn't you? You had to... Ken, Ken, engage in a conversation. Focus, focus. Look at me. You had to do a little dig. Imagine being so so fearful that you, 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 you build your belief around this fairy story and you're so worried that you've got it wrong that you have to mock people for their mental health. You have to belittle people I'm for, for worshipping... Let me finish, King. You have to belittle people for uh, worshipping brown gods. You have to be terrified of, of men who put their penises inside other men. Imagine! I can't begin to, to imagine what it's like living in your scared little world. I can assure you I am not fearful in any way of these situations. I am telling you because I love you. You're terrified of men putting their willies in other men's bums. Now, you are perverted in your heart, my No, I'm not, because I don't see anything wrong. What's perverted about... What's perverted? Ken, are you... Ken? Ken, well, I am, and that is a problem I'm... Ken, that is a problem I'm... Ken? Ken, can I finish, mate? That's a problem I'm dealing with. Yes, I I do have issues around sex, but you have issues around gay men. And I wondered no, why. I of course I do. You think that's perverted? Nonsense. nonsense. You think that, ga- that gay men are, you think gay men are not perverted? Great, fantastic. Well, that's wonderful. That's progress. That. 
Sodomy progress. is a perverted act. Sodomy. 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 They've all got it. Sodomy. Okay. No, he's not, Ken. It doesn't say anywhere in the Bible that a man can't put his willy anywhere near another man. It doesn't say that. That's nonsense. And you know it's nonsense. So imagine living Imagine living a life so full of fear, so full of, of, of fear of other people who do things slightly differently, that you have to invest all of your time into talking nonsense about a, a, was it a European yeah. ten-state antichrist that's coming. You called me the antichrist at one point. Make your mind up, Ken. Who is the I antichrist? I'm not fearful of anything. Who is the antichrist, Ken? Is it me? Because it was me six months ago. No, it's not you. It was me it's six months you. ago. You did call me you. the antichrist. I didn't. I said you did you have the spirit of antichrist. No, you called me. You no, no, no. You called me the antichrist. Whereas you're an anti. You're an Islamophobe. You you're a homophobe. You're a. You're a. You're. You're. You're an everything a phobe. You're a horrible, said, bitter, twisted little man who's afraid. I said you, I said you are. Anti-Christ. No, I know exactly what you said. You put the word. You put the word the in front of it. I remember it very, very well, George. Oh, mate, and you're a liar. You're a liar as well as a homophobe and an Islamophobe. And a joyphobe. And... You're a troubled man and you need Jesus. I'm a troubled man. I don't need Jesus. What I need is medication need and Jesus psychiatric help. Problem. And I'm getting both of those things. So thanks very much you... for your call, Ken. Now go away and go and crawl back into your little hole. Uh, yes, George. Yeah. <laughs> I am still thinking about Stephen. OK, and... well, you carry on thinking about that. We're going to go to the ads. The Late Night Alternative with Ian Lee. Unfiltered Night Talk with the original king of unconventional conversation on Talk Radio. We have ways of making you talk. 0344-499-1000 is the phone number. Let's go to Ryan. Good evening, Ryan. Sheena, you'll be next. Do stay there, please. Hello, Ryan. Oh, uh, good evening. How you doing? I'm all right. What have you got for us? Oh, uh, well, I was phoning up for another car crash. I phoned you this time last week uh, for... A generic conversation, sort of a unprepared one, and you sort of fired into me a bit about how it's not I should phone this sort of radio station. So I've been listening over the last week a bit more because I sort of explained to you at the time I was sort of having a bit of trouble and I was staying up a bit late more recently. So I thought I'll listen to you, give it a chance. And loads of people seem to phone up for generic conversations. So I still can't work out what I did wrong. Well, no, because so you didn't thought... phone. You didn't phone up for a generic conversation. You just phoned up and said, "I've got nothing to say." Go on. What do you want to talk about? That's not a generic conversation. That's no conversation. That's making me do all the work, and I did quite enough work as it is. <laughs> well, yeah, so right. that that was so that was the point. It's more. And you've had a whole you've had a whole week to think about it, and you didn't get the point. No, no. Well, that's the that's the thing. So I'm phoning back. So it's it more of a bounce off thing, anyway. All right. I was just sort of giving it a chance, trying to work it out. After stop week, de- stop deconstruct. Why are you? De- well, I've told just told you. I've just told you the answer. So stop deconstructing it. Stop, you know, going all meta on my ass. And what do you want no, to talk no, about no, tonight? No, no, no. I'm, I'm asking you for suggestions. Sort of like, what, what do you suggest? Exactly the same. This is, a, this is exactly the same thing you did last week. You phoned up and said, "I want to have a chat, but I, I've got nothing to talk about. What should I talk about? I, I, I'm doing enough work here, Ryan. Don't give me more work to do. I'm doing plenty of work." I've been I've been trying to see. I'm having a look on the web page, Talk Radio One, and on Twitter, but not on that. So it's like, well, I'm trying to sort of gauge how to approach it. I'm sort of asking here that you know, it's just, I'm going to keep doing this until I get it right. Well, you so keep, if you just... keep phoning up saying I've got I've been deconstructing last week and I still can't work out when I phone up and say I'd like to chat but I've got nothing to talk about. Why you get angry with me? I don't understand it. If you're going to keep doing that every week, well, we just we'll just stop answering your call. No, that's not. No, I'm not. Not no. I I don't want to do that, do I? I Well, then don't keep phoning up doing that, then, because I don't want you to do that. 
Oh, okay. All right, we're not really getting anywhere again. I was hoping that it might move forward slightly. But okay, what do you want to talk about then? <clears throat> I don't know. That last call. There and there is the stumbling. There is the stumbling. The show isn't about anything. But people phoning up saying, "I want to talk, but I haven't got anything to talk about." Well, well where do, do I go that with again, that? I? I'll have to pick a subject. Well, that's twice. Up. That's twice you've done it. Well, it, it <laughs> <coughs> <laughs> oh, uh, okay. I thought I'd try and just get myself a bit prepared last time. But I'll say the, the way you approached the last call and things like that is just absolutely crap. So I've got no, no, absolutely no way of. But sort of th- there's a yellow card. Don't swear again, otherwise oh. you will get banned. Sorry, you know. Of course, you're not allowed to say the f word on radio. You absolute idiot. Right. I thought it was at night. I thought you were allowed at night. No, of course right. you're not allowed at night. Right. Here's the thing. You got meta and you deconstructed your side of the call. Shall I get meta and deconstruct my side of the call? Well, OK. You, you lot did call Pink Panther a prick once. That's what I phoned up ages ago. You can okay. call him an effing so prick, though, did Yeah. So, no, no, no. Yeah, you're right. See, here's, the thing. Well, here's, here's one of the things you need to do. You need to learn to listen. This is what I'd like you to practice over the week. Listen, because I just asked you a question which you ignored. <clears throat> Uh, Go on, ask it again. Ah, it means you didn't hear it. Okay. I'm sorry. I do need to learn to listen. You are correct. There you go. Well, that's something. Did you hear the question that I asked? I didn't, no. Right. I said, you have deconstructed your side of the call. Oh, well, you'll have to deconstruct yours, yeah, sorry. Not what I said. Would you please shut up and learn to listen? This is a lesson in listening. I said, you had deconstructed your side of the call... Would you like me to deconstruct mine? Uh, okay, sorry. I did. Uh, yeah, yeah, sorry. Go on then, of course. Right. Maybe this side of the call is part of the show. Okay. As in, like, you bounce off what offered to you? Now we're getting somewhere. You, that was actually a bigger leap than I was expecting you to make. OK. I, I do apologise then, because I was trying to do that off you last week. But I thought you might have a loose subject matter for me to at least fire into. Because I didn't get a chance to listen. I just phoned. And I wasn't trying to be rude by doing that. It's just that I knew that you were on. And then I just thought, oh, okay, oh, I've got kids in bed. I couldn't really have it on, so I just phoned up. So, but but, but but do you, not, do you not see what I'm saying? That maybe this phone call is the show. Maybe this phone call is perfect for the show. <laughs> it's probably not very good listening, though, is it? Who cares? Don't worry about those guys. Those guys are losers. Everyone that listens to this is a loser. Right? Forget them. All that's important right now is me, you, and Kath, right? And maybe, just maybe... Yeah, you just called me a loser. Well, yeah, you are. We all are. We're all, le- all late-night losers. Welcome to the club. Oh, cool. But maybe... This phone call where we're arguing about you not understanding how the phone calls to this show work, maybe this phone call is the perfect phone call for the show. Ah, look, it's in an advert for how not to approach it or to approach it. Nope. Or not. As the case may be. Mm-hmm. Okay, well, there you go. Perfect. In, well, I didn't, perfect. It's not perfect. No one's listening. So it you, keep anyway. talking, you keep worrying about the listeners. Why? Don't worry about them. There's no <clears> one listening. you worried about listeners. You're your... obviously not, so... I'm not. There there's no one listening. There's either no one listening or there's an infinite number of people listening at the same time. It doesn't matter. It's, it's my Britishness doing the embarrassment thing for you, then. Sorry. 
this call may be perfect for the show. It may be the show. Or it may be awful for the show. Wow. Now we're going into Schrodinger's cat. <laughs> open the box. See what's in it. No, once you open the box, it's over. Depends how long it's been there, doesn't it's it? It's while the box is shut. That's the... Um, it's while the box is shut. And, and has the gas been fired off or not? Poison gas. Everyone yeah. forgets the poison gas part of Schrodinger's cat. Everyone forgets the gas. I never knew the time limit bit either. Because I thought if it's like eight months later, it's pretty obvious. <clears throat> Excuse me, sorry. So how would you feel if I said this was tonight, apart from our guests, that this call, Ryan, is the best call of the night in terms of what the show is? Yeah, mind blown, huh? Mind blown. I might have a good day tomorrow from that. Mind I seem to need that. Mind like, blown. I'll phone up the radio a lot. What, what, who else do you phone up? What other shows, what other stations? Uh... No other stations. Oh, no, I couldn't get into LBC. If I get anywhere near James O'Brien, it'd be game over. Okay. Mike, Mike Graham, um, I'll phone him a lot. Uh, Juliana Brewer, if I could be bothered that morning, early in the morning, she gets wound up with something. Yeah. And uh, Eamon, speak to him a bit. Oh, does, well, does Eamon work here? <laughs> um, Sometimes. You're lucky to find the shows he's in. Well, there you go. Listen, they're all great shows. But his, his, uh, they are all great shows. I'm fans of all of them. But here's the, here's the, here's the um, not problem, here's the conundrum. You're used to phoning very traditional phone-in shows where they've asked you a specific question. We don't ask, yeah. we very rarely do me or, me or Kath ask you a specific question. It's more ambient than that. Well, that's what I'd like to tap into because I do have to stop and gear myself into whatever I'm chatting and sort of tone it down a bit as yeah. I'm going. Well, I did get told off by Mike Graham the other day. Oh, so. Good, good. But here's the thing. We've been talking for about eight minutes about nothing. This is a very zen phone call. Is it just the music making you say that? No, no. It's, it's the perfection of the phone call. Sort of the full circle thing. Yeah, maybe. So well done. It's no, less, that's less than somewhere. two. That's less, well, no, we got nowhere. Well, but we are revolving. I'd quit while I was ahead if I were you. You've just, you've just taken lesson two. Congratulations. Nice. Look forward Ooh. to speaking to you again, Ryan. Thank you for your call. Uh, Thank you. Bye-bye. Poor Ryan. That was the perfect call that encapsulates this show. He's learning. He's got a long way to go. You know what it is? He's used to ringing up shows and being prepared to have an argument about something he pretends he cares about more than he does. Yeah. Don't have to do that on this show. Just come on and be Ryan. (laughs) And that was it. Beginning was a little bit rusty. but There were moments... And when I say the perfect call, that's a slight... It wasn't quite, but there were there were moments, pure moments, where that phone call was floating an inch above the ground. Just for like a second, and then it hit the ground again. Because we started thinking about it. That's, okay. the, that's the thing about Zen. Right, everyone has moments of Zen, but then you go, oh, I'm having a moment of Zen. Yeah. Ah, balls, it just ended. Yeah, self-consciousness. Just ended. And that was it. We were floating above the ground for an inch, just for a second. Then we both went, one of us or both of us went, oh, we're floating. Boom. And we hit. That's what it was. So thank you for that, Ryan. I enjoyed that. Uh, let's go to Sheena. Good evening, Sheena. Hello. Hello, again. Sheena. 
Hello, um, Sheena. I'm trying to think of a song with the name Sheena in, and all I can think of is... Punk rocker. Sheena she- is a punk rocker. Sheena is a punk rocker. There must be, because Sheena's... Sheena. Mm-mm. It's, it's a good name for two-syllable boom-boom name. Who is it? Is it Sheena's in a goth gang? There's that one. Sheena's in a goth gang? Done, done by a vaguely cool band, but I can't remember. Oh, was that after Sheena was a punk rocker, she progressed to begin being in the goth gang? Oh, Possibly. Yeah. Oh, oh, God. And who was it? The horrors did Sheena is a parasite, which I wasn't very pleased with. Oh, here we go. Here we go. Hang on a second. <sighs> Hang on a second. Let's have... Uh... A bit, I know it's an advert which you've not paid to advertise on this radio station, so you can kiss it. No, not you. Hang on. Here we go. Here we go. Here we go. She's digging up the graveyard. Oh. Black lips and That's the that's the cramps and the rather disappointing Sheena's in a goth gang. Uh, it was the cramps? The I thought that. And there was it the cramps who did a and filmed a gig in. A, I'm going to use a phrase that we don't use anymore, but in a lunatic asylum. Was it the cramps that did that? I wouldn't put it past them, but um, I um, they filmed. I'm sure they filmed a gig in what used to be called a lunatic asylum. And it was it was filmed, and it's it's that everybody in the audience was allowed to go wild. Yeah, live at the Napa State Mental Hospital. There, you're like the Ma- Napa State Mental Hospital. My goodness gracious me! It's fil- that would have been a lovely day for all the patients, though, wouldn't it? Not the like... cramps; they're rubbish. I don't really know the cramps <laughs> oeuvre, uh, but yeah, it would yeah, have been if nice. If a band was playing, you'd just be like, brilliant. This is in ma- when was out, when, when like... did that? Nineteen seventy nine. Seventy eight. Imagine being, what's it called, Napa State? Mm-hmm. Imagine being a patient in, in Napa State Mental Institute in 1978. I bet that was grim. I bet that yeah. was very, very grim. I, I mean, obviously, we're all thinking of One Flew of the Cuckoo's Nest. I bet it was bleak. Yeah. How many of them asked to go back to their rooms? Mm-mm-mm. Well, no, like... Um... Even psychiatric units over here in the eighties were still like that up until like oh, well, early nineties. Well, in the eighties, nineties, they were still using like old Victorian asylums. Yeah. Oh god, grim. There's actually one at the end of my road that used to be an asylum. It's like lovely houses now. Where's that? Colney Hatch. Um, Colney, no, um, Penge. Penge, Penge, very, very Monty Python word. Penge. Yeah. Well, it comes oh. from Penge. Yeah, Ponge. Ponge, Ponge. Ponge. They like to call Ponge. that. Very uh, nice houses, colourful uh, to live in. Well, there you go. Uh, what can we do for you tonight, Sheena, who is not a punk rocker, or, nor is she a goth, um, as far as we know? Oh, I was, well, because I, I listened from the beginning, so I was um, the talking heads. Have you seen the documentary now kind of parody, but it's like a loving parody of talking heads? Oh, now, this is the, th- the series with Fred Armisen, is it? Yeah. We like Fred Armisen yeah, from Portlandia. And they did a series, him and someone else did a series of um, very... Yeah, Bill Hader. A- Bill Hader. Very accurate spoof series of documentaries. And I watched the first one, which I think was a, a spoof of Grey Gardens. Yes. And I, 
I I didn't laugh once. I thought it was I thought the the accuracy was spot on, but in being accurate, they they'd forgotten to kind of make it entertaining. So yeah, I didn't get I any further that. than that. I didn't know if there is a Talking Heads pastiche, is there? Yeah, I'll be honest. I haven't watched all the episodes because I'm the same. Like, although I find a lot of comedy, I'll go like, oh, that's that is funny, but I'm not like laughing yeah. out loud. But the Talking Heads one, I think they're called Test Pressing or something. Oh. Um, it's just. Absolutely, it's just spot on. Oh, I might have some of that tomorrow then, Uh, because I like. um, We're big fans. Have you seen? You've seen Portlandia, have you? uh, I've watched a bit of it, but I don't really like it. Didn't make laugh. I think you had to watch a few to get it. I don't don't like Fred Armisen. Hang on a minute, you just just recommended the Fred Armisen show, basically. No, I just don't like him. Like he's tolerable in small amounts. Oh, see, I like him. Have you not seen on Netflix? There was a one-man special comedy for drummers. Comedy for drummers. Oh well, you'll hate it, Sheena. It's an hour of Fred Armisen. I thought it was. I will funny, give it a go. Man. I always give things a go. So you'll hate it. You'll, you'll absolutely hate it. It's, it's literally it's just Fred Armisen. Fred Armisen. Fred oh, Armisen. No. Fred Armisen. But he is talented, isn't he? So I guess. Well, oh, but you, you hate know, him. Here's the thing. Here's my, can, I, can, I, can I make a prediction, Sheena? Yeah. You're going to marry Fred Armisen. Oh. You're going to phone us up one day and go. You are. You remember? Right. You're not going to believe this. Do you remember about three years ago? I phoned <laughs> you up, right, and I said I, I just I don't really like Fred Armisen. He's talented. You're never going to believe it. Yeah. I married him last week, and I'm pregnant with his baby. Actually, there is something. Yeah. There is something in that. My first boyfriend, I thought he was an awful prick for years and years, and oh, then golly. I suddenly realised that I um, fancied him. And it was Fred Armisen. Yeah, I do. I, well, I, I do go through phases of really thinking awful men are great, and they they're often quite talented. So um, I wouldn't so, be surprised, although he's with Wasser Chops, isn't he? Uh, Natasha Leon. Well, so. here's, here's the thing. Here's the thing. Um, there was this young lad. This is a true story. There was this young lad. Um, uh, there was me. It was me. It happened to me, actually. I remember it. And I was a kid. And our next-door neighbour, this guy this guy called Freddie. And I remember waking up one day, and he had loads of soldiers in his back garden. And I said to my dad, I said, Dad, wh- why, who are all these soldiers in the garden next door? And he said, oh, it's Fred's army son. Yeah? <laughs> yeah? Fred's yeah. army son. Yeah, she liked it. Sheena liked it. That's why she doesn't like Fred Armisen. <laughs> yeah. Fred Armisen. No, I d- you know, it's I think bad. it's because I've, I've read, like, rumours, and then I've gone, right, that's it. I'll oh, no, I read rumours. Listen, I read, there was a whole expose I read online, 10 reasons why Fred Armisen is a scumbag, right? Mm. He cheated on his wife, which isn't great, but I, it was, yeah. it's not like the whole Ryan Adams thing that's coming out. He, it, no. uh, he, he struggled to be faithful, and, and maybe he dumped... I, I mean, I read it, and I went... <sighs> I, all right. I mean, it's not the... But, I think the difficulty uh, is... not uh, R. Kelly. Elizabeth, no. Elizabeth Moss, who was his wife, is a bit of a hero, yeah. so yeah. you're going to side with her. But that's that's brilliant. great. It's, it's not, as, as, uh, people may have missed that. Sheena said he's not R. Kelly, he's not got kids in his basement, and you're oh, absolutely... Which reminds me, oh, yeah. R. Kelly's in more hot water. Yes. <sighs> Everyone's going to be absolutely staggered. Um, you know, um, Michael Avenatti, who's been representing no? Stormy Daniels? Oh, kiddo. Right, yes. so now... He is uh, acting on behalf of someone who is bringing a fresh video of R. Kelly oh. apparently having sex with a 14-year-old. Oh, yeah, yeah. Come in, on. In a situation almost identical to that one back if in the that's 90s. That's not enough to bring mm. him down. Dear God, come on, what is... Well, the, the fact was they saw the video, saw him do it in the video, but they'd left it so long so no one would go, oh, you poor child, she was a 20-year-old girl. Yeah. 
he'd probably learn how to cope. So they were just like, yeah, just throw oh, it out. It's so obvious. They're still pally, apparently. Uh, as our her, her family, so hey, something's uh, gone on. Listen, I'm, I've been late for all the ads so far. I've been late for this one. So, Sheena, I'm going to say thank you very much. Good luck. I hope um, you and Fred are very happy together. <laughs> oh, <laughs> OK. Thank cool, you. Thank so, you. Speak to you later on, Sheena. Thanks very much. Yes, we've, we've got a load of calls for some reason at this time of night. We never have. Uh, Giselle, Clive, stay there. Come to in a bit. This is the Late Night Alternative with Ian Lee and Catherine Boyle on Talk Radio. Late Night Conversation. Wealth losing sleep over the Late Night Alternative with Ian Lee on Talk Radio. We have ways of making you talk. Uh, Paul Ross is on at one o'clock. Ian Lee and Catherine Boyle here for now. Let's go to Giselle. Good evening, Giselle. Hello. Hello. <laughs> How are you? Um, do you know what? I'm a little bit better than I was yesterday. I've got to be up early tomorrow. I'm going to go. Um, it's one of those things where you get to go and hang out with your kids at school for 45 minutes and look at their work tomorrow morning at 8, which I'm looking forward to. I'm not looking forward to getting up. I'm looking forward to doing that. That's going to be fun. Um, I'm all right. I'm all right. That's really good to hear that. Thanks, man. What, what you got for us, Giselle? Um, there's the, I, I find it better if I ring up without an agenda, really, oh. but I just wanted to say that I've had a really good night tonight. Oh, um, I, I like just, Maybe I ask why your night was good. Was it, did anything happen? Was it just peaceful? Was it spiritual? Was it what? What, what happened? Uh, so I went out to an open mic night, and um, one of the things with with me is uh, my doctor tells me that I need to integrate more because oh, I, I tend to. I'd tell uh, my doctor to f off if he said that. And then I'd slam the phone down on him. That's a joke, kind of, because I'm not actually at the doctor's. I'm on the phone. Sorry, carry on. <laughs> um, yes, well, she does say to me, um, you need to integrate yourself more rather than being fixated on uh, finding a specific person that can help you when you're vulnerable or okay. worse to that effect. Okay, okay. Um, and, and so I've been, I've been trying, and I, find, I do find socialising... Um, quite exhausting. I feel like if I go out and have to socialise, I need a couple of days to recover. Um, but I went out to an open mic night on Tuesday, and I went out again tonight. And over the last six months to a year, I've been trying to um, introduce myself to people, which I don't find very easy. Because what, I like strangers like... and stuff? Yeah. Going up to them? Um, wow! Flipping heck, yeah. Giselle, you're making my... Honestly, I'm not even joking, my heart is going I now. Going up to strangers and going, what, like going, no, and going, hi, my name, hi, my name is Giselle, and, um... It would be weird if you said that. I'm an addict, yes, and, uh, <laughs> and I want to fight you. And I hear, I've got my, I've got knives, so I want to fight you outside in the alleyway with knives. Is that the kind of thing you're doing? <laughs> <laughs> you know, um, I, well, when I went to, and I might not fairly recently, at one particular venue, I knew one person there. Yeah. But I don't want to rely on other people to kind of break ice for me. But I got to the point where I, I was feeling a bit rubbish, not particularly bad, but it got to the point where I was sort of propping up the bar, not in a way that I was oh. drunk or anything, but oh. literally I was literally leaning against it. And I got to the point where I, I'd stood up for about two hours because my brain was telling me, oh. and this is the BS that brains give you, obviously, but, yeah. um, you know, I, I didn't deserve to sit down and that nobody right. wanted to speak to me and why would they want to speak yeah. to me and, and various things like that. And I just feel like... You know, I just made some some progress, and uh, it's something that I probably have found the hardest thing. I I struggled to make friends at school, yeah. and you know, I, I I just my social circle isn't particularly big. But when I went out tonight, um, 
to an open mic night, there were a lot of musicians that I knew that were playing, and, and so I didn't kind of sit on the steps going into the upstairs bit of the bar where I was kind of isolated myself from talking to people. I, you know, I managed to speak to at least half a dozen wow. people, if not more. Wow. And I just feel like I had quite a good night, even though, you know, I probably will sleep till God knows what time because I quite, you know... And, emotionally a bit drained from yeah, it. Yeah, sleep though. I just feel like I had a positive night and wow. me being me, I don't really have anybody to tell that to. So I thought I'd phone the radio. Hey, nice one. No, that's um, inspiring. Thank you. Thank, well, don't worry about content. Forget, screw the C word. Um, <laughs> that I, on a human interest level, that's very inspiring and uh, that's beautiful. And I'm, I'm, um, this, this sounds a bit patronising, but I'm proud of you. Well done. And um, you've given us all a lot for our brains to chew over. So thank you very much, Giselle, and well done. What's thank ne- you. What's, what's, what's um, next? Um, this weekend, you're, you're going to go out and um, do, um, what do they call, are you going to do like a one-woman, one-person flash mob? Is that what you're going to do? <laughs> you're going uh, to gonna go door-to-door, just knocking and asking if you Bob a job? Anything? What, what's the next plan? Bob well, a job. I definitely think people would slam the door in my face. Well, maybe. <laughs> hey, Giselle, listen, I'm going to take one more call, and then we've got, I can see Paul inching in. He likes to, he to come in. Uh, yeah, I, I don't well, want to gate cross Paul Ross. No. I mean, be, uh, but listen, it. well done. That's brilliant news. I'm, I'm, uh, that's great. Thanks for sharing. Thank you. I'm, I'm really pleased you're doing better. Cheers. Thank you, Giselle. Let's go. Come in, Paul. Oh, he's gone. He was, oh, he's, <laughs> he's, 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 he's such a dick. Sorry, just called Paul Ross a dick. I do apologise. That was completely unnecessary. But he's, he was he, he was, was in ducking, the airlock between the two doors, ducking up and down with the light under his face. So he looks terrific. Let's quickly. I, I can rock that look, girlfriend. <laughs> Let's go to Clive. Hello, Clive. Hi, Ian. How are you? Um, well, I think we just answered that. Uh, what have you got for us? I think you did actually. Yeah, sorry about that. That's um, right. No worries. No worries. I've been I've been I've been meaning to phone up for a while. Um, uh, last uh, October, I lost my dad. Oh, mate, I'm uh, he, sorry he to hear that. Yeah, he suffered a stroke um, in July and then went through to October and passed away. Um, and before that, for the past, and up to now, for the past 18 months, I've been on taking through fluoxetine for antidepressant yeah. um, and anxiety that I've suffered. Um, and I've never been very open in um, talking about things. I've always kept it closed up. But, you know, I got introduced by a friend to your show, and um, I've really felt that I wanted to find up to say thank you to you because oh. listening to you and hearing you open up about issues and um, that sort of thing has allowed me to talk about it. So it's just a quick thank oh, you. Oh, so really. hey, listen. So you've been speaking to your friend about stuff that's going on. Yeah, yeah. I Partly mean, because I've, of um, us. Yeah, I have. Wow, yeah, I've, I've, I've spoke to my friend, and he he, he actually said um, he said you should you should listen to a fellow called Ian Lee. Oh. On, um, on talk radio, and I said, okay, I'll give it a listen. He don't, he and, don't uh, shut up about that stuff. He's a nut job, and he keeps banging <laughs> on about it all the time. Well, you know, it's a, but you know what, you know what, it's um, oh, well, mass masculinity, mass masculinity, I called it uh, that I had, and um, I was uh, happy to open up. So this is the first Good. time I've called, and just uh, it was just to say thank you, really. Hey, so. wicked Clive, listen, I, I I really appreciate that. I'm really sorry for the loss of your dad. I think it's is is it's a tough one. It's always a tough one. Um, and and if it's only October, that's still that's still recent. So you, it, it's going to be raw, yeah. man. And um, well done for sharing that stuff because uh, I, I think it's important. So well done. 
Yeah, it is. So, yeah, carry on the good work. And nice. I, you've, you've got a listener for a long time. Thanks very I'll, much. I'll piss you off at some point, Clive. <laughs> Honestly, I will annoy you at some point. You'll send me an angry tweet or a, a text, and then you'll never listen again. It happens to everybody, <laughs> and Kath will back me up. Uh, Clive, right. listen, we'll speak again soon. Take care. Thanks very much. Thanks, man. There we go. There we go. What a lovely call. What a nice yeah. guy. What a nice guy. Hello, Paul Ross. Good morning. How are you doing? Yeah, good. Thanks very much. Quietly confident tonight. Ooh, or this morning. This. Quietly confident. Sounds cocky to me. Well, because I expect you both to be surprised and impressed. We're going to the Yukon, to a place called Takini, okay? That's his Inuit name. Uh, they're in the middle of the White Horse Festival. Yes. And one of the elements of that festival is people come from all over North America, mm-hmm. as they would. They have a hair freezing competition. You immerse your hair in water, flick it up, and then try and hold it upright as it freezes in the Shut air. Up. Some of the photographs are astonishing. If you put oh, in hair freezing competition, and we are talking to one of the main men from this particular organisation. It's a, that, what a wonderful... They're doing loads of other stuff as well. Yeah. Who cares? But it's the hair freezing I want to find Who out Who needs to do studio lines? So it's a proper... You know, you can imagine that the proper heavy metal headbanger guys are yes. going up there. And they, they do it, it. They look like clown hats. Their beards freeze as well. Fantastic. Incredible. Look at that. Look at that, dude. <laughs> I'm in. Hang on a minute. Uh, look at that. So, we've been after this for a few oh, days now. Fair play to the team for tracking them down because they're, they're busy. Obviously, basically, I think it's an excuse to get hugely drunk in the, in the land of the midnight sun. But it's an amazing idea. Look, it's, look, it's like a Leningrad cowboy. Look at that. Oh, yes. Serious business. Look at her. And on a slightly more serious note, we are marking eighty years since the end of the Spanish Civil War. Ah. So it's a mixed bag of a program. Touch and eyebrows. <laughs> Yeah, oh, mate. The end of the Spanish Civil War. My, uh, it looks like um, a London cheesecake. Look. <laughs> oh, that's weird. Talk about the Spanish Civil War, though. I've got friends in Spain, and, you know, in li- it's living memory yeah, for them. Their grandparents remember and it. And there's awful. a hideous, remarkable mausoleum that Franco had built with slave labour. Oh, God, I Which know. is a tribute to his... I mean, I've visited once. It's one of the darkest places I've ever been. And they're still finding mass graves of, like, entire yeah. villages and stuff. Awful. So we're talking about that on the programme as well. And also, uh, somebody um, listening, somebody we're speaking to, needs your help. It's wonderful woman she runs a small local kind of dog rescue charity i had no idea you know in the uk mm. to end on a bit of a downer folks oh god we put down eight thousand dogs a year in the uk alone uh, yeah that doesn't su- that doesn't surprise me which means i probably yeah I, I must have known that at some point it's horrendous isn't it but there's a woman who runs a great she's been running it for a while shrewsbury way and they need premises now urgently they've been looking since october they've got two weeks left where they are yeah. so we're talking to her and somebody listening might know somebody who yeah. can possibly help so all kinds of stuff on the program well, and the usual old tosh uh, yeah that's how these things work what it takes is someone listening who go oh well what about steve might you know then you, they join the dots and these yeah. things happen well, so well good uh luck um i feel i should end on something profound but i've got nothing profound to say it's just, it's, you know it's kind of how about this oh we go he who walks with a limp runs with a hop he's good paul ross is good i mean yeah that's why he gets the big um, box we're we're done i think we haven't got any guests tomorrow night have we no which is they'll be uh tonight felt easy because we had an hour and a half of guests i mean stephen tobolowski wow Man. What a storyteller. Do check out his podcast. Uh, I always get the title. Oh, uh, I always get. Well, hang on a minute. Jer- Jerry, we're, we're just finishing, mate. What are you doing? I'm just trying to go through a rough time, but I'm listening to you. Well, uh, well, uh, well uh, give us a call. You're going through a rough time. Yeah. Oh, mate. I've lost my appetite. Well, give us a call tomorrow and we're going to sort it. We're going to fix it. We're going to solve everything. We're going to cure your Parkinson's. I've been working on a few things. I think I might have the cure for it. We're going to get you. We're going to make you rich. I love the David Koresh. 
You love your David Crash. All right, good, good night, Jerry. We'll speak to you later on. He is on the morphine, isn't he? He's on the morphine. I thought I was being profound. <laughs> right, listen, that is it. We are done. Uh, thank you, Catherine. Thank you, Amy. Uh, dear listener, don't forget there are podcasts aplenty. You, we'll probably have a couple of podcasts after tonight's show with uh, Stephen Tobolowsky and, and um, uh, Chris, Chris Warburton, Warburton as well, which we'll, we'll, we'll put out. Do check out both of their podcasts. They are both completely different, um, but excellent. We will be back tonight at 10 o'clock for the last show of the week, but do stay tuned because coming up after 1 o'clock, it's Paul Ross only on Talk Radio.